kept you away. You just came back with a few cards. What what did you no, don't show me what you got yet, but I know that you got you just went and grabbed a few cards to show later on, a few that you maybe just got in in the last week or so. Is that fair to say? No, I just grabbed a bunch of other stuff. I can grab some stuff from that I have gotten in the last week if you want me to do that. That'll take me no. 10 seconds. It's okay, man. Either way, either way is good. So here we are after hours. Ooh, got to get the after hours banner up there. Where is it? There it is. Here we are. Sports cards live after hours. Welcome everybody to after hours. This is the more chill version of the show. We got Joe Perot in the house. Joe, welcome back, Joe. So Joe sent me a message on Instagram, Adam, like a few minutes ago. He's like, yeah, in between shows, I ran to Walmart and bought some Upper Deck Series 1 blasters for uh, to try and pull some of the Lafreniere rookie. I don't know. You're, you're, you're like a one-trick pony. You're a basketball guy, basketball card guy only, Adam. And I don't mean one-trick pony in a derogatory way at all. It's actually you have the luxury of focusing, which is something I think a lot of us would like to be able to do. Have you heard of Alexis Lafreniere? Can I plead the fifth? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I probably couldn't name – I'm ridiculous, Jeremy. I probably couldn't name 20 guys across all three other major sports. I, I'm just – I am 100% a one-trick pony. Uh, you, you you said it, and it's true. And that, There's nothing wrong with that. Chris West is back in the house. Welcome. We got Alex back. Double the fun. Chris West is scared to buy a nice-looking vintage on eBay now after all the trimming scandal nonsense. Well, I mean, yeah, that that's like, you know, to me, that's the same thing. And COVID is an extreme example, so I won't use it. But that's like, I'm afraid to go outside my house because I'm going to be, I might get it. I might catch a cold or something like that. You know, I get it, Chris. But, you know, it's like every time you step into a car, you risk getting into a car accident sort of thing. There, there's other there's other other things out there uh, that, that that are fearful that if you just... You know, you can't avoid it. You, you can't avoid everything. Let me rephrase. I don't avoid everything because I'm scared that the one in a hundred is going to burn me. You know, I take it for granted, Adam, at this point that of all the cards in my collection, thousands of them, I probably have a trimmed card in there that I don't know about. I probably have a fake patch or two that I don't know about, but honestly, I'm okay with it. I don't know the difference. Do I want what I like to know? What I prefer to know? Of course I would. Of course I would. And I, I'm as anti-fake patch and anti-card alteration as anybody else is. But I'm a realist. And I understand that I probably have some of those. And I'm okay with it. So, you know, it's it's just uh, just part of the hobby. And if you have a sharp eye, you can, you can and you use your, you know, your uh, experience, you can probably avoid that kind of thing as well. So... Yeah. Anyway, you remember you remember when the I mean there have been a number of trimming scandals throughout the years, right? Um, and uh, a few years ago, when things got really crazy, um, and and you know it's been really crazy ever since then. There's always feels like there's something every other day that's being uncom uncovered that was trimmed. I think a lot of us went into our collections and we started really like um, we started just looking at everything that we had and, and asking the question, do I have any, are any of my key cards trimmed? The reality of it is most of us don't know, right? Um, most of us don't know if our key cards are trimmed. 
And this is where it's funny because people who, who don't collect vintage will be like, see, this is so great because the vintage world is where most of the trim stuff is. And I don't really need to worry about that. Reality is that there's trim stuff in vintage, there's trim stuff in modern, there's patches that have been switched out and autographs that have been altered. And there are all sorts of things that have happened. And to your point, Jeremy, like there's only so much we can do. Um, does the hobby just fall on its face? If, if it's found out that you have a trimmed card, it doesn't, right? It means something bad for that one card. Um, it maybe means something bad for, for cards that are similar to that or that have similar um, aspects. But, you know, I pulled, I, as you said, as you said earlier, I pulled out just a bunch of stuff. Jeremy gave me 60 seconds to go grab some stuff before the show started. And I was like, what am I going to grab? But I actually did grab some of my vintage cards because um, you told me that, you know, you had you had been um, talking vintage, vintage hockey. So this is one of my very favorite vintage cards. It's a Wilt. 71 Wilt in a nine. And there are a lot of these that have been graded, but there are not very many nines. Um, and you know, that's the sort of card that you look at and you go, I wonder, is that, is that re is that for real? Cause I think the pop on this is something like 17 or something like that. It's a really rare, really big time card. It's his first standard size tops card. He has um, the two tall boys before this. And then his rookie card is, is standard size, but it's made by Fleer. Yeah. That's the sort of card I look at and I go, is it trimmed? I don't think so, but I don't know. And you know what? So two things. First thing is, you know, even uh, 130 point, 180 point cards have been trimmed. We, we've seen evidence of that. But, you know, to Chris's point, um, because if you read what he says, and I'll throw it up there, he says, I'm scared to buy nice looking vintage on eBay now. And that's fine. I'm not, Chris, don't take it wrong. I'm not critical of, of, of that comment. But what it, what I think this does is it improves the market for the PSA fours, five, sixes, and sevens. You know, cards that you know aren't trimmed, and that's where I would go if I were you, Chris. And to anybody else, if you're yeah, one MK, that's a super rare card, of course. But if you are scared of ultra high grade cards being trimmed, that's fine. Buy something that is less condition wise buy something that may not be uh a target or may not have any concerns of being of being trimmed or altered in any way because then you know that you're getting something that's just it is what it is right ziggy good evening to you terry fortune says risk versus reward the unfortunate thing with trimmed cards is that once they're in those holders it's like it doesn't really matter if they're trimmed anymore if they're trimmed at that point because they're in the holder and Again, not I'm not advocating for this, but it just is the fact of the matter is that more people, and I asked Ken Golden this when he was on the show. I said, do people care more about the card or do they care more about the grade on the holder? And he said, when it comes to these new investors, all they care about is the grade on the holder because that's what they can get comps on. So it doesn't really matter if it's trimmed, if it's in a PSA nine or a 10 holder. It matters to it matters, but you see what you see that distinction. It matters, you know, if you know about it, and it matters to the purists, and it, it matters. But it will. I shouldn't say it doesn't matter. The, there will just be no effect if it is trimmed, and no one knows about it. Of course, there won't be. No one knows. Yeah, but I don't know if um, I don't know if he's the one who really coined the phrase. But when I but when I hear when I think of the phrase um, "by the card, not the grade," I think of. Um, 
member of the the Instagram community who's named uh, Logo Man Shark. It um, was on the blowout forums for many years as Tristan Twenty, and I've gotten to know him over the years, and uh, and he has one of the most amazing collections of all of, of high end basketball card collections that you've ever seen. And he would always say, "Buy." And it says, in, "It said in his uh, in his signature." on the platforms by the card, not the grade. And I think that, that his, I don't want to put words, words in his mouth and he'll actually be writing a, um, a piece for the magazine here in the next couple of months about this. But I think what he would tell you about how he collects is you know, he collects cards that, that um, you know, the, what somebody could say about the condition matters a whole lot less than what the card actually is. And so, you know, I showed you that wilt a few a few minutes ago. You have that wilt, and then you have, let me show you another one right now. A wilt, and then you have this card right here. This card's a Yao Ming exquisite uh, scripted swatches from 03. That's um, to 25 and obviously has just one of the craziest patches and autographs. That's the sort of card that, like, I mean, it actually, it's funny enough, it's graded a 9.5, but I don't think it really matters what it's graded. You know, like yeah. it just, it just doesn't matter. So you have, you have cards where they're rare because of the grade that's assessed and you have cards that are rare and cool because of what they are. And I see collectors that value both things and I value both things like both rare, both types of rarity, but I definitely like, I definitely lean pretty strongly to the cards that are rare because of what they are rather than cards that are rare because of what they grade. But I think if you were to look at the majority of, you know, the the collecting world that, that we're in, I don't think that, I think that I'm probably more the exception. I think the rule is more like, hey, I've got this 52 mantle and it's an eight and a half versus an eight. And they see these great deals of value shifts between a half a grade or a grade. To me, it's not super compelling, although I get it. Like, it's just not... I shouldn't say it's not compelling because that makes it sound negative towards those people. I do get it. Like I said, I've got that wilt there and the difference between an eight, which is like a thousand dollars and a nine, which is like $5,000 is like really significant based on that one grade. So I do get it, but I lean heavier towards this. Like I, I, I would rather buy the rare card than the rare grade. If that makes sense. It, it does, man. I think for, and I, I agree, I agree with you for me, when it comes, I care about grade when it comes to cards that are more available. You know, Wayne Gretzky rookie, Michael Jordan rookie, and, you know, even, even cards from the 50s, you know, they are readily available compared to a card out of 10. And when I, when I, the first time that my eyes opened in terms of grade not mattering and even a card that may have been altered maybe not mattering to me personally in terms of a card that I would want to own was when Matt yeah. Turner bought that PMG green and he went on, I believe cardboard chronicles or wherever he communicated the fact that he just wanted the card. He doesn't, he, first of all, he, he's like, I don't think it was trimmed, but if it was, I don't really care. There's only 10 of these in the world. I want one. It's the only one available. I know where four other are. I've never seen the other five ever. So I'm going to buy this and I'm going to own it. I'm going to love it, even though it's in a PSA altered holder. It's like, who cares? The card is still pack pulled. The card has still survived this many years. And so when it comes to rare cards, 
that are, you know, by rare, I mean, you know, either numbered, numbered or non-numbered, but numbered, I'm talking like 10 and under, or just super rare inserts from the 90s that you can't really find. The condition is less, and, and I know you feel the same way, Adam, the condition almost doesn't matter. Of course, you don't want it driven over, but it's about owning the card and having it in your collection versus the condition. Whereas if you're looking for a Gretzky rookie or a Jordan rookie, you want those to be in the best condition you can afford because there's just so many of them. Does that kind of summarize it a little bit? Yeah, you and I are on the you and I are on the same on the same page there. I, again, I don't know that everybody feels that way, and I don't I don't want to like seek to profess how people should behave or what they should value. But to your point, and I showed this earlier, but this is maybe my favorite card in my collection, um, and I could talk about why it's my favorite my favorite or one of my favorite cards in my collection. But the bottom line is, Wilt Chamberlain has one card where he's in a Philadelphia 76er uniform. Um, and there's, I think, 14 in the entire population across Beckett, PSA, and SGC. And that's one of the 14. Now, it's also easily the worst condition one in existence. But over the course of the last you know, 10 years, it showed up one time at public auction across all platforms, one time. And I got it, and it was a PSA one. And I feel great about it because I was never going to get to own the card in any other way. Again, I haven't ever seen it available before. This is this is the only time. And so for me, getting the card is what mattered. It's not serial numbered, but it was a test issue. It's it's uh, very important in terms of the history of basketball cards. Um, and so I didn't need it to be mint, although it would have been amazing. Um, I just was really I was just really glad to get it. So um, that's the the caring about getting the card more than more than getting the grade. Yeah, I'm with you. Let's have a look at a few comments. I also want to ask all the guys out there, if anyone is streaming or pay-per-viewing the Mike Tyson fight, if you could just sort of let us know in the comments what's going on. I recently acquired a really awesome Mike Tyson card, and uh, so I have a bit of a vested interest. Uh, even though I didn't buy it anticipating the fight, I bought it, and then, and then well, I knew, I knew about I, I pursued the card, and then the seller said, yeah, you know, I think it now's the time. Because I said, "Why are you selling it?" And he said, "Well, you know, I think now's the time. He's fighting in two weeks, and I was gonna, I was gonna set it. I was gonna list it on eBay tonight. I was gonna list it because he showed it on Instagram, Adam. He's like, "Hey, selling this card going up on eBay." So I reached out and I said, uh, "Hey, you know, I'm interested." And I've done deals with him before, and uh, so we ended up doing a deal. But I said, "Why are you selling?" It? He said, "Well, I think it's a good time to sell. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lock in some profit." And he's fighting in two weeks, so I think now is the right time. And I, I mean, to me, Mike Tyson is an all-timer, so I don't care if he fights this week, last week, or next week, or you know, put make, make change week to year. It doesn't matter to me. I wanted the card, so I got it. Anyway, I'm curious to know how he does in this fight tonight. What card is it? It's the uh, it's the PMG, the employee PMG, the 2013. I have it right here because I I have it out right now. It's the 2013. Uh, PMG employee. It's numbered out of 125. It's one of three, two or three in a BGS 9.5. And I say two or three because you go on the BGS pop report and it's just not clear. One screen says two, another screen says three. Very strange. Yeah. It's That's like the pop report says two, but if you click on the two, it shows three of them. So I'm not really sure if, well, if it was regraded or what the deal is, but um, very That's rare. Cool. 
awesome card. I mean, it's funny. I bought from the same guy. I bought this. This was the this was the majority of the deal. But then I bought two more cards from. I said because you know in this set there was also I didn't get his Tiger Woods, but there was a Hulk Hogan and a Michael Phelps and an Oscar De La Hoya. I'm not interested in the De La Hoya. I, I have interest in the Michael Phelps and the Hulk Hogan. So I ended up getting his Hulk Hogan and his Michael Phelps too. So I'll show all three of them. It's like, what do the, the this is, I call, I've been, it's funny, man, because it's like, we're, we, we're made fun of, or not made fun of, but you know, we laugh at ourselves. We collect car, we collect cardboard with pictures of men. Well, here I just picked up cardboard, three cards of pictures of men with their shirts off, all three of them. <laughs> I'm like kind of laughing at myself, but I love the cards. With a, with a, I mean, these are all all timers. What's that? With a purple shiny background. It's awesome. I love them. I love them. I'm, you know, I'm a PMG guy, so I love them. <laughs> Few comments here. Uh, Eli, welcome to the show. Eli, good to see you. It says buy the card, not the holder. Yeah, preach, my brother, preach. Everybody, everyone grades different, but new era collectors are all about the slab. Great, and you know what? You, I can't argue with that. They most of them are but it's you know what with guys like adam talking myself talking i think we can help to let them know that you know what you there are psa 10s and maybe shouldn't be psa 10s hey there's psa 9s that should be psa 10s there can be some great value in there buy the card not the grade rule number one maybe collect what you like don't put yourself in debt buy the card not the grade i mean golden rules of the hobby and i know there's more chris totally agrees thank you chris uh yeah joe says if a tree falls in the woods right talking about if you don't know it's trimmed uh, does it if the hobby not you as an owner but if the hobby doesn't know it's trimmed doesn't really matter happy after hours to you mike great to have you back nobody's around here at fall i i hear you joe chris west totally agree we rare cards the time to buy them is when you see them one hunt that's another golden rule if you want a card you're at a card show don't Think you're going to walk around and find other cards you might want more and then maybe come back for this one you see it you better snag it especially with with what's going on now upcoming card shows that that rule will never be more uh, applicable than it will be like the next card show we all go to joe says adam has a double phd in basketball card collecting and sports collecting philosophy impressive and there was a, i think it was joe up here also said uh right here yeah Evening, glad to see Adam back, one of my favorite hobby personalities. There you go. Very nice. Alex says, completely agree with Adam. I recently bought a triple auto out of three and a BGS eight holder. The grade could have been a four and I still would have bought it, right? Like there are some cards that can be the same price no matter what the grade. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I have a, a an outstanding order at Beckett that's been there since seemingly like the dawn of time. It's been there forever now. And one of the cards that's there is a... Kobe 04 SP authentic autograph patch number to 10. And it is, it's hammered. I don't know what it's going to come back. It's not going to be pretty though. And I just, I just don't care. I just have all of my really like best high end stuff in slabs. And so I wanted it in a slab. Um, most of them are, you know, most of the thicker cards I usually go with Beckett. Um, and I've always, I shouldn't say I usually, I always go with Beckett. I don't like the PSA thicker, th uh, thick holders. Um, and that's the whole reason I, I just don't even, if it comes back at three, I just don't care. It doesn't make any difference to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, sorry. I got, I got, I got lots of ideas going through my head right now. So I'm just going to go to the next comment here. Uh, be, because I, I could talk for days about, you know, how we should, how, 
I don't want to say how we should. I don't want to say you should to anybody. I'll, I'll say everybody should have a Wayne Gretzky rookie card in their collection, but that's about the only thing I'll say we should. But uh, now, now I'm going to re- look back at old videos and say, oh, I say you should all the time. So if I ever say you should, you know what? I mean, I mean it with the best of intention is all I can say. Can I? Can yeah, I ever, please. I think you were making a point earlier that I think is – is interesting. And I think we could, we could follow on just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, you talked about how the newer great, the newer collectors, the new people who are in the game want, they, they really, they really care about the grade. Right. And if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, maybe a lot of us, especially when we were were younger, really cared. Um, I think there's a real strong reason for that. And that is that, um, there's a content there's a there's a group of people i think a large body of our of our um of our collector base right now really would love to be able to make cards into stocks and um you know that we've heard that a lot there's nothing wrong with the comparison there's a lot of attributes about stocks and cards that can be similar but you know if you can assess a grade to a card, especially, then you can really say this is this is exactly in the same band as these other cards that sold that are in this same grade. And then, if that's all that people care about, then you know it, it really does take take on even more attributes of of some sort of security, some sort of stock, some something that's tradable. Um, I I think that. And I don't think about cards as stocks. I think stocks are, you know, represent pieces of companies and companies go out and actually make money. And when you own a piece of that, you're owning a part of, of an entity that mo- goes out and makes money, not just in terms of, of, of adding value, but in terms of like actually, actually like bringing cash, like positive cash flow. A card doesn't actually bring you positive cash flow. You can sell it for more, but it doesn't create more. It doesn't provide a dividend. It doesn't, you right. Know, you know, and so I think you're, I mean, kind, of, you're kind of talk. You're kind of talking about like a a, a capital asset. Ver- like you know, it's like I talk. You talk about the apple, the, the the apple tree and the apples. The apple tree is the company, and the apples are the dividends that it would spin off. Right. The yeah. apple. The apple tree is the capital asset, okay. and it spins off the income you get from selling your apples. So what you're saying is that. A company is the apple tree and it spins off its spin-off income are dividends. So that's what you have. The capital produces the income. You're saying the card is the capital asset itself. There's no spin-off income. A lot of companies don't pay dividends, so there's no spin-off income. Another analogy I've used is you buy an apartment building. That building you own is your asset. The rental income it spins off is the that's the income that the capital asset generates. So versus dividends let's say from owning the 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 capital of a company or the stock of a company so i agree with you in that in that the sports cards yeah there's you can't cut off a corner and sell it for 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 some money well maybe you can but that'd be silly you can't cut off a corner of the card and sell it for money and still have that card in its original condition right it sounds ridiculous saying it out loud but that's kind of the distinction that that you're making yeah, and the only thing that I would add to that is you're right about company about about stocks not always um, having a dividend, but all or making money for that matter. But or, anyway, or, or making money that's true. But the point of the company is at least in the end to go be able to make money, and and that's what a company does. Like it should in the end be able to create positive cash flow, or at least there's a belief that it can at some point. Otherwise, it will not last. It yeah. cannot. And so the card is different than that because the card 
we'll never have a dividend and we'll never create cat positive cash flow. But um, but yeah, I think but I, but we we definitely took it two tangents past, you know, <laughs> which is that I think that people would like to to trade in things that are totally liquid in this in this space. But then you've got people like me and maybe you and maybe some of the other people out there who are like, I actually don't care about the things that are readily available. They aren't interesting to collect because they're always out there. Um, my, my problem is that I, I like all of it. I want that. I want that commodity rookie card of certain players because I want that player represented in my collection. I know you go for a rare tough card for everybody that you want in your collection. I do that at times, but at times I just, you know, I just want that Kawhi prism base rookie in my collection. I'm not interested in any additional Kawhi rookie for my collection, but yeah. no, but when it comes to Sidney Crosby, Wayne Gretzky, I've got like hundreds of these guys cards all dug. Yeah. I have their main rookie cards, but I want other fun cards as well. And honestly, I think Jeremy, like, I think that's great. Like, the thing that I, the thing that I try try to be very careful with, with both the magazine and the podcast and, you know, every other thing, every other thing that I'm sort of working on is I never want to try to tell people how to collect. Um, you know, I, I, I've, ta- I've mentioned to you before, I know you can't say both collect what you like and here's what you should collect. Yeah. You can't do both of those things. You, you're disingenuous if you do that. And look, I've owned a number of those sort of commodity well, cards for years. Let so. me just jump in. Cause I don't, you know, and I hear what you're saying and I, when it's, I don't know that it's so much disingenuous. Here's why, because if I say collect what you like, but then I say, you know, I think you should collect this. It's, it's, it's not being misleading or trying to, for any self benefit. It's more like I, it's more like I'm just telling you what I love Mm -hmm. and I'm projecting that upon you. Not, you know what I mean? It's not, but, but if you are, you know, a pumper and a dumper, that kind of thing, then yeah. But if you're just a genuine collector like you and me and you get really excited about what you love like you know like my family I, I love what i love right so i can't help but say oh you know what and and the other thing adam i know this happens to you too is that people come to me and i say hey what do you recommend i look for you know i want to i want to maybe a wayne gretzky card or a Sidney crosby card what should i go after it's like well man i like so many things I need you to help me understand what you like, and then I can guide you a little bit. Does that kind of ring home with you? Yeah, it does. And I don't know about you, but when I get those messages, I I really struggle because I don't know what's going to go up in value, and I think that's what a lot of people are asking, right? Like, tell I think what they're what they're really asking in some situations is tell me what you think is going to go up, and then in other situations, I think they're telling they're they're saying you know tell me what you like. And in that case, I also want to say, but what do you like? Like, I'm not going to tell you to go buy Kobe Bryant if you don't like Kobe Bryant. I'm going to tell you to go buy you know, who your player is or who your team is or what, you know, do you like shiny cards? No. Okay. Well, do you like autograph patch cards? Like, what do, you, what do you like? And for me, that's like, that's the key part of it. Because, you know, there's, even if, even if your whole goal is to just make money in the hobby, there's so many ways to do it. You don't have to just buy raw cards and grade them. That doesn't like that for me. That hasn't been a big part of what I've done in the hobby. But for some people, it's like exclusively what they've done to make money. You know? Yeah. No. For sure. For sure. Okay. Let's go through some comments. Then we'll talk a bit about your magazine because um, it is the Basketball Card Fanatic magazine. Um, I'll talk a bit about it right now. I've got on the ticker right now for anybody who's out there. If you guys like basketball content, if you like Adam, uh, which who doesn't? Um, you know, I've got three of the issues. I've shown them before. I won't show them again, but. 
If anyone's interested in subscribing to the magazine, it comes by email. It's a it's a beautiful magazine to look at and read. If you are interested in subscribing, you can visit paypal.me slash basketball card, send 20 US dollars for a three month trial or $80 for all for a, a full 12 month uh, subscription. These magazines are, you know, the content is in there. The interviews are great. Um, you know, it's funny, Adam, I heard you talking once you said my interview is not turns like it's eight pages. I tried to make it six or seven, but I couldn't get, I'm like, I wanted it to be double. It was that engaging and that interesting that I I'm like, man, don't cut it down. Make the magazine longer. You're sending it by email. It doesn't matter. You know, I wanted to be longer. So just a quick comment on, on the, uh, on, on, on the content that I, I do enjoy it. I've enjoyed reading them. And uh, so if anyone out there is interested, I'll let you speak to it in two seconds, Adam. Let's just have a look at some of the comments. Uh, Chris West, cool Tyson PMG. Yeah, I agree. It is very, a very cool Mike Tyson PMG. Uh, Alex says, damn, I've had my eyes on the Hogan's recently. If you're moving it, I'm going to keep it, but good luck. Good luck to you. What you're going to do in Hulkamania runs wild on you. No doubt. Paul C says, LOL, when Jeremy's in, I'm out. What does that mean, Paul Cashman? What does that mean? Matt 14K, just a bunch of clutching. Oh, the fight tonight. Tyson's getting the better shots. Jones looks out of shape. Thank you for that update, and I'm interested in more updates. Jordan Hagedorn, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, guys, just curious. Never heard you guys talk about breaks with it being such a big part of the hobby. Any thoughts? I'm going to go first, Adam, okay? Jordan, I basically don't break. I basically break almost zero product and it's been like that for me probably since around 2011, 2012 is when I kind of thought to myself, um, I'm just, I don't have that, that gambler mentality where if I, if I bust a box of cards for a hundred dollars or 500 or a thousand dollars and I don't get value, I get sad. I actually feel like I wasted money. The break, the tax that we pay, or the the premium you pay to break product for that thrill is not worth the money to me. So I'm a secondary market guy almost exclusively. Now Upper Deck did just announce in April of 2021 they're coming out with a new product called Skybox Metal Universe, and they're doing a lot of cards that I'm gonna love. They're doing Platinum Portraits, they're doing PMGs, they're doing Intimidation Nations. It's going and I'm going to buy that wax and I'm going to crack a bunch. I'm going to buy as much as I can. I put in a pre-order for five cases knowing I'm not going to come close to getting. I'm not going to get it. I mean, it's all it's already being allocated. So, I might get a couple boxes, but whatever it is, I'm going to have fun with that product, but that's the only product I plan on breaking pretty much at all. Not I'm not against breaking. I'm super glad that breaking occurs because if it didn't, I wouldn't have nearly as many cards in my collection. I support graders in terms of I encourage them to break, but I don't break myself, uh, Jordan, almost almost zero, pretty much almost zero for the past eight years, I'd say. I go on the odd group break mostly to support a friend or, you know, for some fun, but that's it. Like, that's it for me. There you go. Adam, how about you? I uh, really appreciate Jordan's question because it's such an integral part of the hobby. And it's, you know, if you, if you, if you're somebody who gets on your Instagram live and you open packs um, of especially, especially high, uh, high value stuff, you're going to get a lot of people who watch. And the reason is that we all love watching people open boxes of cards. We all love opening boxes of cards. 
everybody loves the gamble. Everybody loves the thrill of like, is this you know thousand dollar box going to lead to a ten thousand dollar hit, or is it going to be nothing? You know, we all love watching that. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence though that you know both Jeremy and I are controllers at our uh, respective employers, and neither one of us are breakers. We're both numbers guys, and 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 for me, the numbers perspective is what is the best way for me to spend my money. And the best way for me to spend my money is to buy singles. It's the bit bigger bang for the buck. It allows me to control what I actually get. I don't get stuff that I don't want. And I get stuff that I feel like is better value. Um, having said that, I, unlike Jeremy, totally have like a gambler part of me. Like I would love to just sit and open box after box after box. But, but truly, like I don't think I would have the collection that I have if I broke uh, if I busted as often as I wanted to, I would do it every day. I'd go to the card shop every day and spend 10 grand if I could, but I wouldn't be able to keep my cards because I would always just be, you know, opening packs. So now don't get me wrong. I love breaking that. Oh. I, it's, oh yeah. It's not like I don't want to do it. I go into the card shop. I look at their wax. I'm like, man, should I take two grand and buy like everything? <laughs> not everything, but should I like just buy all that and open it? But I don't because I, I just I learned the lesson too many times. And what would happen was I'd go I'd go to a trade night at, at Maple Leaf Sports here in Calgary, drop whatever it was. You know, we'd play some pack wars. I'd open some boxes. This is the mid late 00s, early 20, early 2010s, and I'd I'd crack some product, whatever it was. I'd leave the shop at the end of the night. My tab would be whatever three, four, five, eight, nine hundred bucks, whatever it was, and I'd maybe have like. Most cases, I'd have like nothing that I really wanted. And then I'd walk, I'd be walking out, I'd look in the showcase, there'd be a card that I really want for 500 bucks. Like, man, I could have bought that for $500, been happy as a pig in poop. And, uh, but now instead, not, not only do I not have that card that I want, I've got all these cards I don't want. And now I need to put time and effort into getting rid of them to maxing my return because they're no good to me. I don't, I'm not going to enjoy owning them. So it's just, it, but don't think that, yeah, and I'm not just I, like, don't get me wrong. I like breaking. I don't do it because I'm not, it's it's a risk tolerance thing. I just don't have that risk tolerance. I'd rather buy what I want and and make sure I get what I want. Again, you, you think, you and I think similarly. I know that there's other people who will buy a box of cards and they will, they will get done with it and they'll think, well, I got this stuff. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'm just going to put it aside and I'll maybe get to it someday. That is maybe maybe how I behaved 15, 20 years ago. Now, if I get a box of stuff that I don't like, my first thought like you is, okay, what do? how can I take this and transform it into something else that's of use to me? I don't think uh, like, excuse me, I don't think maybe someday I'll be able to do something with that. I think, what do I do with it now so that I can create value that will allow me to do something with it? Um, neither way is right. You know, and if you're somebody who can keep your, you know, breaking under control and not spend too much and really have a great time with it. And um, if that's what the hobby is to you, I think that's wonderful. It's just, it's not what it is for me. And like Jeremy, I'm grateful that people do it. Um, I hope that people don't do it because they just have that sort of gambling addict part of them that just wants them to keep going and keep going. And, you know, I, I unfortunately working at a card shop for several years did see people who were kind of in financial ruin because of and part of that gambling addiction was, was cards. I, mean, I saw that. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, so that's, there's, there's a good side to it. There's a bad side. And then the, the key to it all is, you know, just make sure, you know, you don't do more than you, than you really can afford to. I have a guy locally here. This goes back over 10 years now who was 
basically addicted to breaking and he'd go into the car job. He'd, he'd spend money. He would then lie to his wife about what he spent the money. He said, Oh, I had to buy new tires for the car. She didn't know the difference. There's 11, 1200 bucks out of their account. And one day he phoned me up and he said, I need a favor. What is it? I need you to come and buy everything I have. I said, Oh, oh, oh okay. So I got my car. I drove over to his house and he basically, you know, we came to a price. I cut him a check. And he loaded up everything he had. He had an uncut sheet of cards. I took that with me. I took his box of supplies. He wanted no, no indication, no remnants of his collecting life at all. I haven't. Now he wasn't a. He was a friend. He was somebody who worked with a friend of mine, and then we got to know each other a little bit in the hobby. I haven't seen him or heard from him since, and he's out of the hobby. But he did it. He said he had to save his marriage. He had to get out of the hobby, and it wasn't like you or me, Adam, where, you know, where we have, we have it under a healthy control. It wasn't healthy for him. He had to get out. And so he made that decision and I felt bad for the guy. I mean, I left with an awesome haul of product and I, I'm sure I did very well with it, but I kind of left with this weird feeling like, man, you know, poor guy. I was kind of, I left feeling super sorry for him because he had to sell everything that he loved. He loved it. But at the same time, I was happy that I kind of was was his chosen uh, person to to move it to. And anyway, it, it, it was it was a tough it was a tough kind of transaction going in there and 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 dealing with him because it was you could tell like he was going through an emotional, uh, real a real emotional issue here. And and I uh, was literally saying this is like not only saving his marriage, he felt it was like saving his life. And I was like, wow, man, how how do you let it get to this point? where you are lying to your wife about $1,200, $1,300 bills on the credit card or whatever, or withdrawals from the account on a regular basis. Like, people so, have issues. I've got 100 thoughts about what you just said. And this is, I would just, I, I'll say a few of them because I'll forget most of them. But um, the ones that come to my mind first, I'll say, um, this is a topic that's not discussed enough because, um you know, there's a lot of people who come into the hobby. I've seen, you know, I've, again, I've done this for over 30 years. Jeremy, I know you've done it for for forever too. Um, I've seen a lot of people come in and flame out, both when I worked at the card shop a number of years ago and and now. You know, you see people come in and they they spend and they try to you know they think they can you know do certain things here and do do do, the, do them there and figure them all out and they just spend a bunch and then they have to get out quickly because they don't have the, the resources or the ability or the intellect or whatever. They don't have, they don't have the ability to, to really make it work. Um, I think that's real. I remember a guy who was a, just a great guy, great customer of ours at the card shop. And he would come in and he would just open boxes. And I remember for a little while, it was like every time he'd come in, he'd spend a thousand bucks or between 800 and $1,500 every time then to a card shop that's so valuable because you're like okay good and this is back you know in the mid 2000s where things weren't always good right things in card shops in 2006 and 2005 weren't always awesome um, and he said i remember one time he goes i don't know if you know this about that i don't know if you know this about me adam but i'm actually a recovering addict and i was like oh i didn't know that tell me tell me more and he said well, I was addicted to, and he, he he mentioned a couple of a couple of drugs that he had that he'd been on, and that he was that he was trying to trying to to stop. And he said, you know, that, and he pointed at the packs. He's like, that gives me the same feeling. 
the same thing that I used to get from the drugs is what I get now from, from this. And I remember going, man, like he's not the only one, you know, there's a lot of people. Um, there was a thread on blowout a few years ago where a guy just said, look, I'm just going to tell you guys, I'm really struggling. And let me tell you why, like those struggles are real. Mm -hmm. Um, not only, you know, your point that you make about finances, Jeremy, is exactly right. Are you going to put basketball cards or hockey cards or whatever above your marriage? I hope not. You know, I hope not. But then I, then, I, then the thing that I have to do is I have to turn around and say, do I do the same thing sometime? And then, and, and then that's when I ask the other hard question here, which is, you know, do I spend not, not money? Because financially, I've made great decisions in cards. There's no question about that. But do I spend more time than I should on the hobby? And that becomes a really scary, a scarier conversation for me personally. And I probably for you too, Jeremy, where we're yeah. the guy putting together these shows and doing these things all the time. Um, and, and what I would say about that is this. Every person has to look themselves in the mirror at the end of the day and say, you know, how, how did I use my day? How did I use my time today? How did I use my time this week? Um, I'll, I'll finish with one last story and then I'll stop my long monologue here. But, um, I had a, I had a customer a few years ago. This is a, a crazy story. This guy called me up and he's like, Adam, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm having some real struggles in my life right now. He said, I have early, early onset dementia and I have hard things happening and I need to move my collection. And I was like, oh man. Well, he knew me kind of like your friend did you like he knew me as the guy who could help him move his collection. So I went over and I started just talking to him and, and, and we had this point in the conversation come where I realized like he had he hadn't spent the most money. He had mostly cheap sets, but he had three rooms full of cards, Jeremy, three rooms full and, you know, piled to the ceiling with sets and binders and all these things. And and his name is Jack. And I was like, Jack, this is just amazing. It's just, it's so much stuff. And I, I asked him to sort of reflect on it. And he said something that I will never forget. He said, Adam, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't do any of this. And I was like, gosh, this has been such an important part of your life, Jack. How can you say you wouldn't do any of this? And I realized like he felt like he had so much of his life stolen from this like addiction. And it like became this very cautionary tale for me. And I think back to that all the time just to say, okay, am I keeping everything in order? Am I spending the right amount of time in the different places? And for me, I have to be able to answer that. Um, I hope I don't project too much onto the world because I don't want to say that everybody needs to have the same values as me, but I do think it's really important that we manage our time and our money and all these things well, and we don't let any of them become real evils. Great point, man. Um, the t you know, you're right. Money is one thing that you can be frivolous with or or just misdirect or, you know, direct towards your addictions. And sports cards are definitely uh, an addiction for a lot of people. But the time and for me, I've got that under control. The time, though, I can I can very confidently say I do not have under control. I spend too much time on the hobby. And, and this show is is a hobby within the hobby. But the amount of time I spend on my phone, you know, if I'm playing with my kids, oftentimes I'm doing it and I'm looking at my phone and I'm not being as present as I could or should be. And I'm aware of this and I'm addicted to my phone, just like so many people. So it's something where now I am, I'm trying to make a more conscious effort, put the phone in the pocket, don't have it on all, don't be looking at it. 
all the time. So, um, you know, it, it, interesting. Oh, man, I, I, before we started the show tonight, I said to Adam, hey, man, what are we going to talk about? Because, you know, I hadn't put much thought into a list of topics. And then, of course, it comes. So I want to thank you guys for, uh, for d- helping steer us towards some good discussion. Can I say, uh, Adam? So you do so much good for the hobby. You make it a better place um, for all the people who are listening right now. You make, Thank you you. make That's really you nice. Make, and I'm not just, I'm not just like kissing up to you or anything. Like you make it a better place. You're friendly. You're helpful. You're somebody who people love to engage with. And what's dangerous about that is that it's it is so positive that you can let it steal from. You just mentioned your kids, right? And they're only, you know, not to go like all like Hallmark Channel on you, but like they're only young for a little while. And, you know, you've got like, we all have to prioritize really well. And I, I don't know how everybody else does it perfectly, it, you know, but I, but my guess is that they don't because I don't like you, Jeremy. I don't think I do it perfectly, but I think we should be striving for that. I think we should strive to sort of say like, okay, you, you just said, talk, you just talked about being present. Am I going to be present with my kids? Am I checking my phone the whole time? Does my life become about cards? And I think if we can say my life is about the real, like my life is about like these really valuable other, other things. And then cards are like this thing that I really enjoy, but I don't let them take over my life. That's the sweet spot. That's where we want to be. But for us content creators, that's harder to be there than it is maybe for, for, for all for every for all collectors but i think still that's what you and i need to shoot for just just adam that's what i think yeah no man you're right and we we, you know we should we should kind of uh help each other out with that a little bit check in with each other how you no i'm serious like how are you doing because it's uh it's always good to have a buddy when it comes to to a battle and it, it it's a it's a battle that isn't hurting my health and i don't think it's really affecting my kids yet because they're so young but it certainly could and i should you know maybe it is and i don't know it of course how do i know it's going through a three-year a three-year-old and a one and a half year old's brains but but uh it's definitely something that i you know it's part of the hobby that like you said doesn't get talked about as much as it probably should and there's all sorts of other issues being talked about in the world right now for the past few years. And I know this is a very small hobby in the whole scheme of things, but this is, it's an issue and not just the the time on the phone with kids and all that, or, or or marriages and the money we talked about. These are issues. I'm just realizing this is all from Jordan's question about why are you guys, why don't you guys talk about breaks? And it's, I think a lot of it is, is, you know, it kind of, cause we're trying to stay in control, I think is what a lot of it is. And when you're breaking, you have no control about what's going to come out of that box but it's a it's fun. We just don't give in to that temptation as much as a lot of uh, people do. Okay, let's go to a couple more comments here. Uh, Facebook user anonymous says, "What do you think would be a more important catalyst for basketball card sales? NBA opening day or a U.S. stimulus package?" I know my answer, Adam. I'll let you go first. People are going to spend money regardless um, of what happens on opening day. Um, but the U.S. stimulus package will have a direct impact on how uh, people who are within our hobby will spend. People outside of our hobby largely won't spend more because of that. But there are people who will get that money and they will literally go spend it on cards if they get it, which will be a major boon to it. I don't think opening day will actually I mean, it will change. It will change things. But I think it'll still be a, it'll be a net zero based on that day. So, see, I was going the other way, but I'll tell you why. So, um the 
the stimulus, it's funny because you said some people will take their stimulus package, their, 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 the, the handout, and they'll go straight to the, the LCS or to Walmart, Target, wherever to buy the retail, which ties into what we were just talking about a few minutes ago in terms of, right? But the reason why I thought opening day, and, and I mean, I'm open for discussion on this in terms of changing my mind because it was a very quick uh, conclusion I came to, but was that opening day is going to start having an impact if it hasn't already, and I think it might have already, it's going to create more buzz and that's going to be a catalyst for sales because people are now thinking, hey, we now have some certainty or at least more than we had before that all of these players that we hope for are going to be playing again and therefore we have hope for great things, more points, more wins, championships and all that. So I think because of that, we're going to see a bit of a spike or a bit of another kind of up curve on basketball cards. But in term, but the question asks a catalyst for basketball card sales. It doesn't seem to me like basketball card sales need a catalyst. They are always, I mean, basketball is 60% of the market. That's more than half. It's more than everything else put together, including the national pastime. Blows my mind. Yeah, basketball cards are you're right, Jeremy. They don't need they don't need help. I think that question, I think it has to do with like how you read it. My my reading of it is regardless of what happens on opening day, it's going, you know, cards are going to sell. I don't yeah. think anything that's gonna happen on opening day is going to create like it's it just is what it is. But as far as like a stimulus, there's still questions around that. Right. And and if you get an extra stimulus, that has a dramatic effect that is not known right now. That's something that could boost in a way that is not foreseeable. That's kind of how I think about it. But your answer, I think, probably is what he was going for. And I think and I totally agree with it. One hundred percent. Cool. Chris West, totally good with Jeremy. Rebreaking boxes packs. Paul Cashman says breaking is like wax porn. <laughs> yeah. Hobby porn to a degree. We have lots of comments. Holy crap. OK, let's run through some of these. Uh, Chris says, I got my fix and then some a few years ago when Walmart had the 50-pack lots on their website. Jordan, thank you for the response. Jordan, makes sense. Controlling your own destiny is safer. Would love to see the diehard singles collectors like you guys gamble more. Watching Nat Rip's 90s packs on IG is incredible. Is. Yeah, if I had if I had a different financial situation, I would be more willing to take my hard-earned money and open up wax i would there's no doubt about it i would because like i said i love it i just don't have the disposable income that i want to allocate to breaking i'd rather put it into a card where i know what i'm going to get i love it and i feel that there could be value down the road for it yeah that's kind of where i'm at on that uh matt 14 they scored the fight a draw guess they wanted to set up a rematch well that's good for the hobby. I would have to think more, more events to look forward to. Matt, always money in the sequel. Yes, exactly, exactly. Jordan, welcome, says Jeremy and Adam. What are your holy grail cards? Oh, that's such, that, see, I always am nervous someone's going to ask that because I, Adam, you go. I'm going to think about it for a second. You think he's referring to cards that we own or cards that we would like to own? I'm guessing it's cards we don't have yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, mine's probably like everybody else's. I would love it. I'd love it. Well, I'd love a Jordan uh, game used jersey auto from 97 upper deck, uh, number to 23. That to me was always the card that just like seemed to be the most impossible. Um, I would love, I'd love a Kobe green. I love, 
there's there's a lot of cards. There's there's so many of those types of cards that I would love to own. But basically, if you think about anything that's that's '90s or you know early exquisite um, high end basketball, that's that's where I would that's where I would love to love to live. Yeah, for me, I mean, my mind goes. It's funny. I I'm a hockey guy predominantly, but I do collect all sports. So I think my holiest of holy grails right now, uh, non-hockey would be a Michael Jordan PMG green. I don't think I'll ever own one. I know I won't. So I would say even the PMG red would be my holy grail right now. I'd be very happy with that over the green uh, or in place of a green. Um, as far as hockey, like I, I th- honestly, like I've, I've, I've been, I've been snagging grails for years. It, it's something where I've, I've, I've say, you know, I used to be a guy that would buy, go to the national and buy one card kind mm-hmm. of thing. I'd buy more, but one big card and a bunch of small. And that big card was always a grail for me. Joe DiMaggio, 38 Gaudi card, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Like I, 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 my Jackie Robinson, those are grails that I've picked up over the years. So now if I go in vintage wise, I mean, maybe a T206 Ty Cobb. I don't have one of those. Maybe a tra- Cracker Jack, Joe Jackson, that kind of stuff would be grailish. But even if I were to have, say, 15, 20 grand that I could put in a card like that, I'd probably go in a different direction anyway. So are they still grails of mine? Like Willie Mays, 51 Bowman Willie Mays is kind of my top of my want list for a vintage card of any sport right now. It's a, it's a, it's a t- man, it's tough. Like your the way that you collect has me jealous right now because you're rattling off things from three of the four different sports. You just did it. You know, you, you talked for just a moment about hockey. You talked about basketball and you talked about baseball and vintage baseball. And I, I just love that going back to the basketball real quick. You know, you talked about PMGs. Um, if I can give a plug for somebody who doesn't, uh, who, who, who probably doesn't need the plug mile high, uh, mile high auctions right now has all three of the original MJ PMGs, um, the 97, the 97 championship and the 98, all three of them are at open auction right now. Um, which is not a, Small deal. That's not something that happens very often, um, along with a bunch of the other really significant and important Jordan uh, era cards. I don't know how uh, their auction house were able to acquire this. I'd actually like to do a, a story in the magazine um, ab- about how these all came about in the same auction because it's a very rare situation. Um, I'm sure there's people out there who don't want me to be talking about it right now because they want these sort of auctions to stay a secret, but. I don't think that's how they should be. I think people who want to bid on them should know about them. So I feel comfortable in mentioning them. But if you are somebody who's out there looking for a real Jordan Grail, like that is as great of an opportunity as you're ever going to have to to find all of them in one place. I'll take a look, man. I wasn't even aware. Joe Perot, great reflections, guys. Thanks, Joe. This is this has been a, a deep discussion so far. I'm I'm actually quite pleased that we've been able to to touch on these these sensitive and important issues brett c says what is the future of autograph cards with covid will it ever get back to a point where athletes sign in person or will it only be done through the mail i mean my thoughts on that brett are that you know the vaccines are coming even in the absence of of that or 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 the couple years it may take for this thing to really get under control i think that we will see events come back and more people being comfortable being out not everybody but more people being comfortable being out in public with certain measures in place just like we're seeing right now you can still you can still go to the post office you can still go to the grocery store 
Um, and there's just new new measures in place. So that, those are my thoughts on that. Anything to add to that, Adam? Yeah, just real quick, I would say that some of these older athletes really depend on the revenue that they generate from their autograph sales and uh, going to shows. And uh, if they're given the opportunity, they're going to do that because that's their livelihood. Uh, I know it sounds strange, but that is the case for a lot of these guys. Um, but for other guys that you know they have plenty of money, probably a lot of the guys that you'd really like to get their autograph, it's going it's hard for me to imagine them ever putting themselves in a public place again where people can just approach them because the way that we view the world is just completely different than how it was 12 months ago. And I just don't see that ever happening again, but I hopefully I'm wrong about that. All right. Rod Jameson says there is a lot of emphasis on high end and not all people can afford that. Tough to be the guy buying MVP when it seems like everybody is breaking the cup. Yeah. You know, fair comment. The thing about that though, and I've said this, you know, I've said, I thought it, I've said it, there's got to be price points for everybody. And, you know, it's like it's like on the, the flip side of that is is if there was only MVP, for example, or, upper, you know, only the lower end products, we wouldn't the hobby would be a totally different place right now. Would it be better or worse? No one knows the answer. I don't think it would be as much fun. I think we would go about collect art just like in the 80s. You collect your base set every year. Everybody's getting it that wants it. And that's the end of it. And it's a truly just a collecting endeavor. There's really no thought about value or investment, but it's evolved. It's never going back to the way it was. But uh, but yes, I do feel like, you know, somebody who can't afford to break what they would strive to break or to collect what they would strive to collect. It's got to be tough seeing people whip out all these crazy cards all the time. And there's no shortage of it. It's like like. People have way more money than I thought. Like in the last year has made me realize just how much money is out there. Where are people getting it from? Anyway. Yeah. Can I can I address that one real quick? Yeah, please. It's funny because as we were talking about our grails, um, I think Rod's point here is, is awesome. And the point that I, I would make to it is think about the cards that we were talking about as our grails. And most of them were from low-end products. Now, I realize in 2020 that the same landscape does not exist as, as existed back in the late 90s and in the early 2000s when those grails that Jeremy and I mentioned sort of um, came, came to be. But um, it, I'll do another show and tell here thing real quick. So this is a card that I picked up earlier this year. It's a Steph 2012 uh, Prism uh, Gold. And... That's a really like that's a grail. That's a grail card, right? That's that's a really important Steph Curry card, um, and I could go on and on about why it's awesome. When that product released, not anymore, but when that product released, it was ninety dollars for twenty four packs. It came out of a four dollar pack, four dollar pack that anybody could walk into a card store and could afford. Um, and if you talk about the PMG Green, uh, Jeremy, that's the one that he, that he mentioned. That came out of a two dollar pack. And the Jordan jersey autograph that I mentioned, that came out of a $2 pack. That maybe isn't how it is right now. But if we look back historically, a higher proportion of Grail cards came out of low-dollar packs, even when high-dollar packs existed, right? Like if you look at 97 and 98, when all the big low-numbered basketball cards came out, there was a higher-end brand called SP Authentic. And there's nothing about nothing wrong with SP Authentic, but SP Authentic didn't end up being the, the product that had the grails, even though it was the super high end product of the day. So, you know, I think if we if we 
are willing to sort of take time and be patient, some of the very best cards are findable out of products that aren't always the highest end. I agree. I I love that you brought that up, Adam, because it reminds me of that Hoops High Voltage 500 Jordan card that is like a monster card, came out of a dollar pack, you know? And Rod mentions MVP. I was looking at Com C earlier today and I saw some of the new MVP out there and there are some really nice cards that out of three, out of nine, that are beautiful. I'm like, whoa, like... I got to be careful because if I pick up one, I'll pick up more. And then I, you know, then it's a never end. It's a downward spiral from there trying to maybe collect a set or something. And I just don't need it. But there are, you know what, if Upper Deck in hockey, at least, has found a way to even make their entry level product um, attractive and be and, and provide some value and kudos to them for that. So let's keep going, though. We have we have some great stuff in here, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, Rich says, this is very insightful conversation about life and cards. How do your, how do your respective spouses and family view your hobby and time spent on it? You go ahead first. I'll go second. So my wife and I have been married for 14 years coming up in, in a couple of weeks from now. And if I was to be really honest, I would tell you that, um, the hobby is probably one of the three things that we've had the most arguments about. Um, it's definitely something that I'm obsessive about. It's something that I have focused on more in my life than most people would say is healthy. From a financial perspective, she gets it. And she, I think she sees that it's positive. But I think that there's a lot of times, I mean, today, even there are times where I can tell she would rather have me doing something else than what I'm, than what I'm doing when I'm working on cards. Um, having said all of that, like that's, that's saying the negative. She also sees how passionate I am about it. She sees how much I care about it. She sees how much happiness it brings me. And, and we've sort of identified that like, it's a key contributor to like the happiness of my life. And so it's one of these things where it's sort of not just necessary, but it's like really important. The question is managing it. So if I'm managing it well, I think in general, she's, she's a lot smarter and more fair and better person than I am. Um, and so if, if I'm managing it well, she's usually great, great about it. And if I'm not managing it well, she's like, Adam, you've got to be better about this. Yeah. So, uh, I'm curious what the other two things are that you argue about the most, but that was just where my mind went when you said it's probably one of the top three. For me, um, to Rich's question, uh, I am fortunate, very fortunate in that uh, my wife and I have never had any negative argument, discussion, anything about it. Uh, but unlike Adam, I haven't been married for 14 years. We've only been together for uh, four and a half years. So we got together, you know, later on in life, I think, than a lot of people did. And so, um, you know, I was pretty set in my ways. Nothing was going to change. And I'm pretty sure right at the outset, I let her know that. No, I shouldn't say nothing was going to change. It's not like I'm that selfish. But um, but there's there's no issues, uh, you know, from a financial perspective. Um, she has no clue. So that, that may help, but, but, you know, when I say she has no clue, that's just the way we we run our, our relationship. Um, so, and from a time perspective, you know, I think there's probably times where she'd, you know, maybe prefer me not to be looking at my phone, but the time I put into the show, the time I put into processing cards into my collection, doing card shows and that, 
she doesn't mind. I think she's happy. I have something that I, that I like your wife, you know, she, she thinks she's happy that I have a hobby and something that keeps me, uh, it really keeps me going. Cause you know, life isn't always, uh, a box of chocolates. And once in a while, you know, when, when, when you can get down or, or, you know, something upsets you in, in your other life, I want to say your real life, but you know, your family, your work, what if whatever may happen, cards are, are a way to, uh, they're the, they're the they're the the escape and they're and i i'm so thankful for the hobby because without it i i literally don't know what i'd be doing i i can tell you that the other question that's worth asking here is you know what else could you be doing like you like you just said and and what what worse things are there because i can tell you there's a lot of worse things to to be involved in but but that's why i go back to how do you manage it? Do you operate in the hobby the right way, or is it a self? Is it destructive? You know, do you do you just bust wax and spend money and get into debt? Well, obviously that's not good. You know, that's why those people flame out. But I always say it's the best hobby in the world because whether you have a dollar a week or you have a hundred thousand dollars a week, you can have a wonderful experience putting together sets and doing working on different projects, letting your imagination sort of run wild with all the different things that you can create and you know relationships you can make and deals you can make happen. It's all possible with, with relatively little money. Um, it's the best hobby in the world, but you've got to, you've got to do it the right way. Yeah. hundred, hundred percent, man. I had a thought there that just escaped me. Um, Sorry. no, no, not your fault. Not your fault. I'll come, it'll come back to me. I like Paul says uh, after hours confessional. Yes. Carlos from philosophy to psychology. Now we're getting somewhere interesting. Sorry. It wasn't interesting up until now. Carlos, Carlos has very high standards, very high standards. Joe finds it interesting. Thank you, Joe. Jordan says it's good to be present with loved ones, but the hobby brings us all a ton of joy. It's addicting because it makes us happy. As long as we channel balance it properly uh, and balance it properly, it's a really good thing. Yeah, well said, Jordan. And I, I remember what I was going to say before, Adam, it was that, you know, when I said my wife has no clue financially, um, you know, I tell her about the wins. And I, there aren't a lot of losses, very few, especially in 2020. But there's lot, there's been a lot of wins in terms, oh, I bought this card. Hey, honey, check it out. It's worth this now. You know, how do you argue with that? But it helps to sprinkle in buying a buying a present once in a while for your wife or your, or your significant other, whatever it may be, to let them know that, you know, you're not just spending all this money on yourself even though it's i do consider it investment i love it but i'm lucky that i can also consider it investment so it takes some of the pressure off of putting what what i would call significant funds in, into the hobby into the collection but um it, it helps once in a while to buy your wife a whether whether it's a dozen roses or a new apple watch whatever you want to buy them it's uh it might it might help alleviate some of the the friction you may have uh otherwise more man Jordan says, great dialogue, Jeremy and Adam. I appreciate you both. Thank you, Jordan. I appreciate you. Jay, great to have you. Thank you for enjoying the show. Another question from Jordan. What are your thoughts on the upcoming Kobe Mosaic Redemption Packs? That came up in my episode with Tracy Hackler on Wednesday from Panini. And, um, you know, I had to admit I wasn't really aware or familiar with them. Um, so I'm not even going to answer it. But, Adam, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I've got lots of thoughts on all things Kobe. I wanted to say uh, first off, Panini was you know they take they take a lot of heat for everything, and of course they're going to. They're the biggest entity that's out there in terms of our sports card, especially basketball card world, right? They're the only name that's out there. But they're put in really a no win situation. 
Um, you know, th these are the sort of things that you can't foresee. And I read people online saying things like they should have known that they, you know, they should have made, made sure always that they had enough autographs on hand. And I just kind of roll my eyes. Like it's hard. It's hard running a, a multi, you know, like this giant company that like always has to have the right cards and the right autographs and the right number of stickers. And I think they do their best, but, but, you know, tying these athletes down or ex athletes down is really hard. And then you have something really unfortunate and terrible and unforeseeable like happened on January 26th. There's just no way you can plan for some of these things. And so it puts them in this, this really hard spot and they want to make everybody feel good because they want you to come back and they want you to be happy, but they can't, they can't fulfill all the redemptions. So what do they do? They come up with the very best thing that they can. And the question about whether the uh, mosaic redemption packs will be good is I think still to be determined. Um, I don't know if there's a checklist available. I don't know if there's a breakdown available. What I do know is there's been a lot of these things that they've done over the years that, you know, everything has grown. Like you said, Jeremy, everything has grown in 2020. There's no losers in 2020 um, in the in the sports card world. And so, you know, I think it's to be determined on those packs what will happen, but I support how Panini is handling it. I don't think it's their job to go out and have to buy autographs for people who had redemptions. I think it's unfortunate. I think it's sad. Um, I feel for those people. Um, I hope everyone who had one who really wanted a Kobe autograph is able to figure out a way to get one. Still, I wouldn't be shocked if those uh, redemption packs in the end end up being worth more than than the some of the more basic Kobe autographs that were coming out because people love uh, products like this that have a limited run. Awesome. I'm not even going to respond because I just don't, I honestly, I don't even really know the situation. So let's keep going. Thank you for the, but thank you for addressing Jordan's question, Adam. Uh, and Jordan, I hope that was helpful. Terry says, many of us were into cards long before we met our wives and had kids. It's hard to balance sometimes, especially when they don't understand our addiction. Yeah. You know, they don't, it's not, and to me, Terry and everybody else, it's not so much about them understanding it. It's just accepting it, <laughs> being willing to accept it and, and seeing the passion that we have for it. I think that's a big part of it because we are passionate about it. We are, we're, that's it. We're passionate about it. And I think passion in anything is admirable. So, but again, controlled passion to, to right to a degree. Thank you. JPOGS 12, much appreciated. I often, Wish I knew who people were because I feel like I might know this person, but I don't know who they are. Chris West says, do they both get participation trophies? I don't know what that's about, Chris, but if he's talking about me and Adam, I think we deserve one tonight, as do as does everybody out there who's asking all these great questions, by the way. Paul, for me, watching breaks is a cure for wanting to open wax. Nothing like seeing a bench player or fourth liner one-on-one pulled and be the hit. The other good thing about watching breaks for, for other breakers is that you it's like you get to sample the product. You get mm -hmm. to see what, what you might get before you go to the store and buy it yourself. So they're very helpful. The other thing, you know, when Jordan first asked the question tonight, Adam, like you got, why don't you guys do breaks? And I know this wasn't what Jordan was getting at, but the thought occurred to me that, and it's occurred to me over the past seven months or eight months that I've been doing this show, you know, I don't have a ton of subscribers on YouTube. I don't have a ton of followers on, on Instagram. I've got my share, but I don't have like a lot of other guys do. And I think I could have a lot more if I would do more breaking and those sort of I don't want to call it a gimmick, but if to, if I were to do that, it would be a gimmick. It would legit be a gimmick for me just to get followers, just to get subscribers. And so I'm not, I'm not doing it. You know, I don't do it for that reason. That's what that's not, hold on. I'm not, not doing it for that reason, but I'm not doing it even though I could be doing it. And 
gaining more traction as a content uh, creator. Super bad says, if you have 10 grand to spend for only card, which card will you guys buy? Man, I mean, right now I would look for a Willie Mays 1951 Bowman in his, you know, that'd be about a six, a five or a PSA five or a six, the nicest one I could. That'd be me. First card that came to mind. How about you, Adam? Something really rare that isn't probably on anybody else's radar. Something that is right now, I'm just all about Kobe. I've told you the only thing that I, I just feel like I search every day is Kobe stuff, but um, I don't know. It'd be something really rare of Kobe. Okay, cool. Jay says, would you invest in MJ rookie card or Gretzky rookie card? Jay, the only correct answer to that is both. Adam. Would Jeremy, for sure. Uh, I definitely. Mean. I I don't have a I don't have a Gretzky. I do have an MJ uh, rookie. It's a BGS 1.5. I've owned a number of nines and eights and all these other things, but they just come and go. But I've, I've had this one 1.5 since I was 13, 14 years old, and I won't ever sell it. Yeah. And, but if, if you're, you know, and I, I joke with my answer, Jay, but if I'm thinking about, you know, if I were to advise somebody what to buy MJ or Gretzky, it's really like, it, it's, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other at that point, you're talking about, you know, it, they've both been called the greatest athlete of all time. I mean, it's, it's either, or at that point, it's just your preference. I, I legit could not, if I was starting from scratch in the hobby, I'd, oh man, I'd say I'd probably go Gretzky because I'm a hockey guy mostly, but I, I, I might go MJ. I don't know. Both. The answer is both. Can't get any more specific than that. Unfortunately for me, it's MJ because I like basketball for Jeremy. It's Gretzky because he likes hockey. I, again, buy what you like. If, if you have some sort of connection to one of those two guys, I think that's your answer. Sean Robb says, I noticed a lot of new collectors from Los Angeles are sports cards weaving deeper into the fabric of life in SoCal. I mean, I have no answer to that, Sean. I have no insight into that. We know that Steve Aoki's opened up a shop there. I mean, he's, I don't even know what the guy, sorry, I shouldn't say I don't. I had to ask recently, what, what's he famous for? I didn't even know. I, I guess he's a very popular DJ, which is awesome because DJs are very popular. Um, so it's great to have something like that in the hobby. But I have no idea what's going on in Los Angeles. Uh, this I know is Rich Barone. Richie, the mayor of Canada, welcome to the show, my man. Hope you're well on Long Island. Chris West says, there was a young socialite magazine that touted sports cards as the new hot collectible a few months ago. Well, that's going to help. Chris West wants to formally introduce the mayor of Canada to the show. Also says a lot of gra grails for player collectors are victory black parallels are out of five super cheap product. Good luck finding one of your player. Yeah, that's a, that, those are certainly rare. MJ would be nice. The hobby has brought me some great friends and enjoyable time. Is that what life is about? Yes, it is. And that, you know, that's the other great thing about the hobby in terms of talking about how does your family take it? Are you too involved? Are you, is it taking away from other aspects of life? It's adding a lot in terms of, social uh interactions whether they're in person or virtual and we as humans are social creatures we we, we crave social interaction at least you know 99 of us i believe uh so yeah it, it is what life is about i believe uh, brett c says redemption cards seem to take forever to get back once redeemed what steps can be made to make the process faster less autographs in packs is the only thing that would happen don't crave autographs so much there's really nothing that can be done to speed it up the card companies have been working on it for 
years and years already to try to reduce the amount of what would what would help would be if we didn't need card products to come out within a certain frame of time if we could wait for 2021 products to come out in 2023 there'd be no redemptions by that would give the card companies enough time to chase these players who for whatever reason just don't get around to signing their cards Rich says, buy your wife a Honus and she will love you. Yes, I'm sure she would. If because because that's what my wife wants is a Honus. She'd be like, no, go get me a Louis Vuitton. <laughs> Gene at 1981 says, Do you think today's basketball prices are the new base prices? Oh man. I mean, Adam, I'll let you take that one. Cause what is this? Sorry, what is what how do you read this? I'm this reading mean? it as do you think today the values of today are kind of the new baseline, the new foundation? Like, are is it only gonna it's just tough. It's a tough question. We we can't you know we can't see the future. Yeah, I think it's a great. I do understand that. That's that's how I thought it read too. Um, I think it's a great question, and we don't know. You know, um, I guess it depends on what you mean when you say base price. Uh, there's you know, imagine the the world of the the spectrum of prices is a is a graph, right? And down the middle is sort of this line that is like you know things are moving up and down, and that's sort of your base, like it could definitely be higher than this and it could definitely be lower than this. We've both been through periods of the hobby, Jeremy, where we've seen things that have just like, we've seen things just totally tank. And we've also been through periods of the hobby where things have gone up way past where we ever expected. It has to do with who leaves and who, who, who comes on in. And, and, you know, I don't know what will happen. And that, but that's why I always go back to this idea of buying what you like, because even if everything falls apart, if you can look at the thing that you have and say, here's why, why I like it, here's why it brings me joy, then I think you're in a great place. Where you really lose is where you buy things just as an investment. You don't care about them. You don't like them. And then they then their values go to crap. If that happens, that's a bad place to be because you've lost all your money and you own something that doesn't mean anything to you. Yeah. So in terms of the question, again, I want, I want to add that um, I do believe that we are in a new we've we've reached a point in time where the foundation of the hobby is is more solid than it's been before in that we have more people in the hobby more collectors and so there's more demand on the card so when we if we're i think a good way to to kind of frame this this particular discussion is around the commodity cards you know the ones that are readily available because they've all gone up in price Michael Jordan rookie, Giannis rookie, Luca Prism base rookie. Just to, just to stick on basketball, Sidney Crosby young guns, Alex Ovechkin young guns. They've all reached these new levels, and I do think we are at a new level where, you know, yes, things can go backwards. Of course, I, I don't know what it'll take because you know the hobby is so resilient to to pandemic. What else has to happen for the for the value of our cards to go down? So I, my answer is I do think that today's basketball prices, I don't think that they're the new base price, but I think that when you compare today to a year ago, we have taken this, like st we've stepped up, we've stepped up in general. And I think that now, you know, it can come down a bit for sure, but I don't think we're going to go back to where we were. I'll leave it at that. Ah, Rich Barone moved over to, uh, to, to YouTube. Thank you, Rich. And great to have you, my man. Chris West says you can watch breaks and see how big of a boot they're get they're going to use to kick you in the junk with. <laughs> yes, you can. 
Peter Chow, welcome, says, thank you for not going the gimmick route. The content you have satisfies the newbie to advanced collector. You may have a longer path to thousands of subscribers, but you will keep them with strong guests. Thank you so much for that comment, Peter. That is my approach. Oscard Dad says, there's more than enough breakers out there. Jeremy, you're spot on in the hobby. Your spot in the hobby is a point of difference, and the more variety in the hobby, the better. Keep up the good work, mate. Thank you so much, man. That, that means a lot. Coming from Australia, where I did spend a year in 1990-91. So thank you so much. Where are you? If you're still watching, let me know where you are in Australia. Curious to know. Adam, uh, Alex, Adam beat me out of the on a cheap 0607 Turkey Red one of one card recently. Any cards he's chasing from that set since one collector hoarded that product? Not really. I, I he's funny for mentioning this. I I'm just somebody who likes picking up some of these random rare cards whenever you know I see them selling at a price that I think is 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 extra good. And I saw that one and I was like, it was a James Posey, if I remember right. Um, I put it in my, I call it my forever binder. I don't know if it will really be a forever thing, but um, that Turkey Red set was cool. They made some of the cards out of wood. Uh, you just don't see them sort of surface anymore. And if, if some great James Posey collector comes along at some point, I'll be like, hey, check out this cool thing that I have, but not chasing anything specifically out of there, no. Cool. Jordan, another another nice question from Jordan uh, to both of us, Adam. What has What has the biggest highlight of your time in the hobby been? Oh man. I mean, I've seen some of the craziest things. Um, I have, you know, witnessed collections being sort of like unearthed that have just the most incredible cards in them. Um, I, I don't ever open packs, like I said, but the last time that I went out and actively bought myself a box was in 2010. Gosh, it's been 10 years since I went out and bought myself a box to open. It was a box of totally certified basketball. And that was when the green totally certified cards were going crazy. And I pulled the Kobe Bryant autograph um, out of five green out of two boxes. I literally bought two boxes and got like the best hit in the whole product. Um, that was amazing. I've witnessed some amazing things be pulled, but the biggest moments of me that for me though, is, is definitely sort of like the finding of the key cards. Um, and I could tell you a hundred stories about that. Okay. I'll go. So I got, I got a couple. Um, I think the biggest highlight for me ever was in 2009. I went to Upper Deck's uh, printing facility in North Carolina, and I I got to uh, I went there to to document all the patch cards in Upper Deck's The Cup. A lot of people watching probably know the story because I've got to tell it a few times on the show. But being at the pack out for the Cup, it, it was the oh five six seven eight. It was the fourth year of Cup. It was, uh, that was a thrill to be able to hang out with the Upper Deck staff. And basically, I photographed every patch card from that set. There were 28,000 of them, because I, well, or so. Um, and I got to hang out with these guys. And then I got to actually pack out some of those packs myself and put the cards in those, in those uh, tins. That was, that was a highlight. And then it was funny because from there, I went to their Diamond Club event as sort of sort of part of the whole package went to the diamond club event and got to go to PSA's headquarters in California. And, you know, Joe Orlando was there. He kind of welcomed the crew and I uh, got to meet Rod Carew and got to meet Tony Romo actually over my shoulders, me and that over there, that's me and Tony Romo from that event um, kind of hanging out. He signed that picture that night for me along with everybody else. That was probably the biggest highlight as far as, you know, a hobby experience goes. Um, 
doing the show is a highlight. I don't want to sound cliche or whatever, but doing the show all the time is a highlight for me. I, I'm really enjoying it. And then from a card perspective, so I went into a, how do you, what would it be? A, a group break, I guess, back in 2012. It was a, the upper decks, the cup. I went to our local card shop here and I'm from Winnipeg originally. So the one of the, you know, every year in the cup, there's three or six rookie cards that are limited to only 99 copies. And that year, one of them was Mark Shifley, who plays for the Winnipeg Jets, who was their first draft pick ever and some that I was going to collect. So they did a, the, the owner, it was Darren at Maple Leaf Sports here in Calgary. He did a one tin group break, six cards in that break. And he sold 30 spots for the 30 teams. I bought six of those spots and I was randomly assigned the teams. And one of the teams I was randomly assigned from picking a little mini coffee mug with the logos out of, a, out of the bag, I got the Winnipeg Jets out of, was it five or six? Whatever it was, I had five or six teams. And one of them was the Winnipeg Jets. And then he went and he opened the pack and lo and behold, out of that pack came the Mark Shifley RPA out of 99 and it was mine for like 20 bucks or 30 bucks. I bought in whatever it was, maybe it was 50 bucks, 80 bucks. I don't remember, but whatever it was, number one, I had, I had a one in five or six chance of getting the Winnipeg Jets. Then we had a one in whatever chance of pulling any RPA at a 99 and then there was a one in six chance, I believe, of getting that particular player. And he was in that pack. I was like, this is the best thing ever. So that that's something I'll never forget. All right, let's keep going. Thanks for the question, Jordan. Jordan has great questions. Jordan, I want you on, I want you watching every episode live, please. Thank you. EMC7. I don't know. I've seen you before. Welcome to the show. Says nothing better than holding a vintage card. I bought a Lou Alcindor and I was so exciting. So, so excited holding it. Congratulations great player great card i'm curious which card you had was it the tall boy rookie it must have been i don't know how many lou alcindor cards he had before he became kareem abdul jabbar he had three i happen to know that off the top of my head because oh gosh i don't i think i have it here uh, maybe i don't um his he only has one that is a regulation size uh, card and that is his 60. Oh, there it is. That's his 71. After that, it's all Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So that's his only regulation-sized uh, Lou Alcindor. Well, congrats to you, EMC7. What does he say? He bought it? Yes, you bought it. Wonderful. Sean Robb, would you ever participate in rally or collectional, collectible fractional share? Uh, yes, I would. Adam? Uh, I would. I don't. Um, I, I don't. But... Um, but I understand people who, who do, I understand it is from a business perspective, I think it's extremely exciting for our hobby and um, to look at high end pieces more as investments. The problem with ha having a high end piece that is not purchasable in, the, in a fractional way is that there's really only so many people out there. But if you were to put you know any huge five, six figure card out there and say, hey, everybody who wants to buy a piece of this, you can buy a $10 share, they're going to go, they're going to have now uh, an ability, an appetite for that and an ability to, to, to purchase that. And so um, I think it's an awesome idea. Yeah. So do I. I think it's a great idea. I know it's not for everybody. I know a lot of people have issues with it because you can't hold the card, which is the essence of collecting, but the hobby is more than just collecting now great. better or for worse. So, and I'm very quick to say, yes, I would uh, participate, Sean, but as you know, I can't because uh, I don't have a social security number, which is what these guys require. So I'm hoping that they can eventually open up to Canada and I will 
definitely be uh, dabbling in that game. Uh, Alex says, well, if you have any Bargnani cards in that forever binder, hopefully forever isn't too long. <laughs> May as well ask, right? No ask, no get. EMC7 says, do you think it's smart to sell rookie hype and hold Hall of Fame legends? Man, that's that. Yes. Yes, I do. Adam? I mean, yeah. If you were to look at my collection, like I have, um, I always talk about the top 100 that I do because I, I like to say, here are my 100 best items in my collection. I think at last count, something like 15 of those players are currently active in, in the NBA and, and the rest of them aren't because I would rather own the card of the player who I know is great. Having said that, I always own at least one speculative card. And so, oh shoot, where did I put it? My ones, so I own a couple of them right now. These, these are my two speculative cards, my two cards that I own of players that are um, not necessarily going to be, you know, they, they, could, they could be crazy up or crazy down. So that's, that's you know, the... The Giannis. Those, guys even, those guys aren't even so much in the speculative category anymore, especially the Giannis, right? I would argue that it is because look, that card right there is, I don't want to project what the values are on it, but it's, it's the acetate and his, his regular, his regular RPA out of Immaculate's a big card, but that's the one to, to his Jersey number that could swing. Jeremy, that could swing a player dollar. But I know player. I, saying he's definitely solidified himself as being great he's an mvp whatever but like the value on it is hugely speculative because he could he could end up being one of the greats ever or he could be a one-time mvp who ends up being whatever and then trey like that's you know trey's best card out of optic that's a huge huge card but only if he ends up being who we think he has the potential to be yeah i, I think you know to to simplify the question though i think yes because when you talk about rookie hype, I'm thinking more about, and this is just my uh, perception of the question, though, to you, Adam. I'm thinking you're talking about this, this cur the current rookie crop. At, in any, at any given time, the current rookie crop, to me, I mean, I don't bother with the current rookie crop until a few years later. I'm willing to wait to find out who proves themselves and then buy a card. It's just, just my nature. Um, now, I will dabble here and there. But for the most part, I'm gonna wait until these guys establish, and I'll and I'll put my um, put my resources into cards of of established players that I enjoy collecting. So, let's keep unless you have something to add to finish that off, Adam. No? Same page. Yeah, you're 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 better at directly answering the question, and I maybe sometimes make it an extra couple of steps. But okay. yeah. EMC seven, you know, you, if you can ever put your, if you can ever take the things that you have that you don't see as long-term and put it into something that is more long-term, like a hall of fame legend, I think that's a win. Me too. Me too. And you know what? I used to go as far as when I would buy, when I would break some product, I would, I would force myself to, if I, if I spent $500 breaking product, I'd say, okay, now I'm going to take $500. I'm going to buy myself an established card one that i know is more investment worthy to almost just balance it out so you know hopefully that'll double in value one day and i'll recoup the money that i lost on on breaking i don't break so much anymore so that's not a i don't have to to uh, utilize that strategy os card dad i'm a regular i'm a regular to your channel jeremy just changed my youtube name simon and i live in canberra i've been to canberra i think that's the home of the forex brewery which actually is the capital city of australia not sydney yes it is I enjoyed my, my my limited time in Canberra, but uh, thank you for that, uh, uh, Simon. 
Jordan, uh, Jeremy and Adam, what change in the hobby from 2020 has surprised you most? I'm just going to say the continual escalation or increasing of card values. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that some things have gone down a little bit. You know, they, there was up and then down. But, you know, I think that um, that's it. Nothing really it doesn't, but it's not that it so surprises me. I was surprised at the very beginning when cards didn't go down in value with, with the pandemic. That surprised me almost more than the fact that they're continuing to go up. My biggest pleasant, the most pleasant surprise for me has been the um, just the, the amount of quality content out there for me to watch on YouTube, listen to on podcast. I love Instagram. Um, so, yeah. How about you, Adam? Uh, mine has to do with, uh, well, first off, there's a lot of things uh, just, just saying values increasing the way they have is a, is a very good answer. Uh, but to me, you know, we, we've seen some of the, some of the things in grading this last few years that haven't been so, so great. Um, you know, we've seen some of the warts of the world of grading and that has had almost no impact this last couple of years, this last year, uh, I, I mean, PSA and BGS almost can't charge too much money at this point, And people will still give that money to them. And that's despite the fact that they've really gone through, through some really hard times and some, some big scandals. Um, it just it's that dependence on, on grading and that love for it and willing to continue to pay even more money to them is, is really surprising to me. And not only the grading companies going through scandals and thriving, but even, you know, uh, I'm not going to mention my name, but the the biggest consignment seller on eBay, you know, scandal after scandal after being ripped online and, and you know, still going strong, still going strong. Uh, Jordan, you are welcome, and I sure hope you do. Thank you so much. Trevor LeConte, good evening. I'm big on Morant, Booker, Tatum, and Beal. And if you're big on them, go with them. That's what I would say. Go with what you believe in, especially if you have the, the insight to scout players. Uh, Simon says that uh, Giannis is actually two-time MVP, Adam. Sorry to correct you, and but that's a correction he'd like to hear. Alex says, Adam, do you own any non-basketball cards? If so, which is your favorite? And Jeremy, without showing your hand, any non-sports stuff you have your eyes on? I have owned uh, a lot of vintage baseball in the past, but probably about 10 years ago, I said, you know what, I'm just going to focus on just basketball. So at this point, I don't believe I own a single card that's not basketball. And for me, um, I do not have my eyes on any non-sport right now. I have my eyes on some more obscure sports, but nothing that is non. And by that, I, like I got them pretty much. Like I wanted a, I wanted a Mike Tyson card. I wanted a Hulk Hogan card. Got more rookie cards, but I decided to go with cards that I just believe in, that I think are beautiful, that are cool, that have that PMG, uh, you know, uh, lineage type of thing. Um, these to me were no brainers. I think they're going to go down as the best cards of these players or not best because best is so subjective, but for me, the best cards of these two, I won't say players, but athletes. And um, so, yeah, I picked up those guys and, uh, but you know, and I picked up Mike Phelps, like anyone, like, you know, this guy is the best Olympian of all time. Like it's just, anyway, my, my, my three, the shirts off club, the shirts off club. The Forex Brewery is actually in Bundaberg in Queensland. Oh, is it? Okay. So, yeah, it was Queensland. That's what brewery was in Canberra, if any. 
Oh man, it's been so long. I was in Australia over, like it was 30 years ago. Tough twoies. Was it twoies maybe? I don't remember. Chris says at the start of the pandemic, there was speculation that there would be lots of people dumping collections. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking I was going to have to dump mine because it's like, oh no, the sky is falling. Only things, you know, precious metals is where to be, <laughs> you know, like who knew, who knew? And you don't mean PMGs, you mean precious metals. I mean, I mean, gold and silver and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, EMC7, my strategy is buying legends raw and wrinkled, getting them graded a one and trying to move up the ladder. Bill Russell, Gretzky, Lou will grade one, but trying to turn them into nines one day. Yeah, take your, t- I like that step up. I like that step up process. It's like, it's like, buy, it's like the paper club, buying a paper, or sorry, starting with a paper clip and trading your way up to a house or a car that we've heard of. Like, this is a bit of a scaled down version, but yeah, go for it. Jay says, do you guys own any non-Big Four sports like cricket, F1, and rugby? I don't own any of those three, but I do own a few, you know, non, non-Big Four sports like I just showed and a couple of others. Adam, I don't think you do. Jordan, thanks to the banner guys. Excited for the future of the hobby. Appreciate the care and contributions. Thank you, Jordan, if you're still with us. Thank you for contributing, and your question was awesome earlier. Seb, welcome, says, first time I see hobby content about addiction, and we all know it's in us at different levels. Important that people know they are not alone in this. Yeah, well said, Seb, well said. Jordan says, Formula One has their first two major hobby products releasing in December and January. Do either of you follow Formula One or have any thoughts on these releases? I do not follow it. My thoughts are that I think they will be popular because Formula One has a huge, huge fan base. So, I'm happy for those fans. I'm I'm really very happy for them to get some some uh, first major products in a long time. So, but uh, no insights or thoughts past that. Yeah, the only thing I would add is um, there. I think I, I agree with you, Jeremy. That there's a chance that it can be really popular. And I think there's actually two reasons why. One is the reason that Jeremy just mentioned, which is it's such a a, a popular sport worldwide. The second reason is that. People in our our hobby are always looking for items to speculate on. And if people see sort of this easy jump from, well, it's popular worldwide and it's the first time that this sort of thing has come out, then they jump to it. So in a lot of cases, things become popular because people believe they will become popular, not just because they are, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point. I'm sure it'll be very popular for that reason. People are like, okay, so I missed the basketball run. I Miss the football run, you know, hockey's been talked about by a lot of people as being, you know, where there's a lot of potential right now. And it's, it's, it's had some, some impact from that. I believe is formula one next is, you know, we have golf products coming up by upper deck coming soon again, that, that they've announced. So, I mean, what's next? I think you got to keep, you know, I don't want to say what you got to do, but for me, I'm going to, I'm not going to dive into a sport that I have no interest in. Like I dove into Pokemon a little bit because I found interest in it. I became interested in it. I don't see myself, but I'm susceptible to that. I'm susceptible to becoming interested in, in, in a Pokemon type of concept. I'm not susceptible. I don't think to becoming interested in, uh, in formula one, Joe, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Adam. Just real quick. I'll just make one quick point. I think it's what we saw with soccer cards, right? There was this, um, period of time where you could just feel the increase in soccer cards being talked about on Instagram. Whenever you feel that sudden shift into another area from a lot of different people, you have to ask the question, okay, why are these people actually collecting these cards? And 
you know, far be it for me to try to tell you exactly what everybody's intent is on that. But as I tried to read the room a little bit, what what I found was people were buying soccer cards because they believed that soccer cards had the chance to explode. Um, that, that I'm sure that's not true for everybody. I'm sure that's not, you know, I, I might have read the room wrong. Um, but whenever you feel people getting into things just because they believe there's going to be values, you should think about things like Beanie Babies, right? It's not... And that's, that's the whole FOMO thing. And, you know, as far as soccer goes, I, I was w one of those people who thought the soccer had great potential, but it wasn't because I saw so many people collecting them as much as I recognized the size of the sport on a global basis. And it's like kind of a no brainer. Um, so Joe, Joe, in between uh, the regular episode and this one, went to buy some uh, blasters of Series 1 and did not hit a Lafreniere. I'm sorry to hear that, Joe. I wish you would have because uh, that's the card to pull from that product right now. Colin says, I'm going through a PSA situation that they are really dropping the ball on. Customer service is really lacking, and I'm sure they're somewhat overwhelmed. It might just, hopefully for you, Colin, it's just a time issue, and they will get to you. I, I certainly hope so. You should check out AFL cards also. They're on fire at the moment. Very cool. Joe says, I know Adam has a site set on very particular cards, but is there anything in the land of flagship products that he finds interesting or well-produced? I think, um, I mean, I, I think it's a great question, Joe. Um, I don't, I, as far as stuff that there's just, there's a lot that exists of that kind of, that most people think of, like, there's no, you know, I don't know. I don't know that there is. I, I used to have this rule that was kind of this three-year rookie rule that is held largely true, which is that after three years, um, between a player's second and third year, that they could become irrelevant unless they really broke into real stardom. So the question that, that I would ask right now is, is there anybody who outside of Trey and Luca who had who just had their second year who's going to have a huge me a huge third year in the league i don't know that there is but if you had any strong feelings about that now would be a really interesting time potentially to get in um yeah that's probably the best answer that i can give but i don't know that that's what he's looking for okay well if I, joe will speak up if he wants to to uh to ask a follow-up Simon says, oh, that, right, right. Simon says, I would still rather Adam's PMG Championship medal Jordan than the real precious medals. LOL. Yeah, <laughs> I hear that. I think he's talking about gold and silver. So would I. So would I. Uh, Daxton Booth, welcome. Doing well. Thank you. You have a question? Fire away. Jordan says, Jeremy Adam, what sporting event that you attended live was your favorite? Man, I mean, I, I'll go first on this, Adam. Uh, for me... It would have been, uh, so 1993, March of 1993, I got to attend a, a hockey game in Winnipeg. It was the Winnipeg Jets versus the Quebec Nordiques, I believe. And it was the game where Timu Solani, my favorite all-time player of any sport, uh, broke the rookie goal-scoring record. And um, I was there, and it was, uh, if you've seen highlights or you know about it, he was, after he scored, he's skating up the ice, he throws his glove in there and he takes a stick and he kind of fires away at the, at the, at his glove that he threw. And he's not a pompous guy. He's a humble, very modest guy. And that's the most emotion that you kind of ever saw him uh, kind of uh, express on the ice. And uh, that was a, a huge moment for me in my, in my sports fan life. Um, that's what comes to mind. Adam, how about you? 
we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so I didn't get to do a lot of the, um, I didn't get to do a lot of the live sports things as, as a kid. Um, but the first thing that comes to my mind, I know I'm not really answering his question here, but for any kid who grew up in Utah, but especially like the self-proclaimed biggest Utah jazz fan in the history of the world. Like I, when Stockton hits the shot over Barkley against Houston in 1997 to send us to the finals, it was, I mean, like, I don't want to overstate it, but it was probably the best moment of my whole childhood. Like it was, I remember where I was sitting. I remember where my dad was sitting. I remember how I jumped out of the chair. I remember every part of it. And I still can pull that clip up on YouTube and still get chills. Like seriously, if I'm having a bad day or whatever, I just, I pull that thing up. I watch it. I see, you know, the past coming to Stockton. It's just, it's the best. It's like I said, it sounds corny, but it was probably the best moment of my childhood. Hey man, that that's awesome. On the similar note, when uh, so following up on my story, when Timu Solani he didn't last in Winnipeg very long, he ended up uh, in Anaheim for many years, and he won the Stanley Cup in Anaheim, I believe, in two thousand nine, seven or nine. And um, I was so happy for him when he because he was just like I met him a few times. He was such a good guy. I literally shed tears. I literally cried when he hoisted the Stanley Cup above his head. I was like, I felt like I won the Stanley Cup myself. That's how much I uh, of a fan of his I, I have been uh, basically for 30 years now. So, you know, again, like you, Adam, I wasn't there, but I, it was a highlight, a, a highlight. The Raptors winning was a big deal, was, 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 was a really fun moment. Uh, again, not there, but a fun moment last year. Anything else you want to add before yeah. we Dad, your your shedding tears made, reminded me of when uh, Kevin Garnett, who I followed so like, closely, I mean, easily my favorite non-jazz player of all time, when he finally gets out of Minnesota and goes to Boston in that first year, goes and beats the Lakers, and they weren't supposed to beat L.A. L.A. was supposed to win, right? And Kobe was this bad guy, and I just didn't want him to stop Garnett, and I thought he was going to. And then he comes out, Garnett does, and they just – put the like lay the wood to the Lakers just destroy them and I think it was in game six and Garnett's just bawling at the end and he like he's he's like incoherent he can't even can't even like say a normal sentence and he says anything is possible and he like just screams at the sky and I'm just like like just crying right like just so happy for my guy that was that was the moment for me that's all and that's an inspiring uh you know statement to just shout and when, when he's in the highlight of his life you know yep Paul says, "I LOL like soccer. Sorry, I uh, like soccer cards. Sorry, I'm having trouble understanding the beginning of the question. LOL like soccer cards. Is it popular because soccer is popular, or is it because people think it's going to? I think we, we pretty much addressed that. This question is eight minutes old. We may have addressed that since you asked it, Paul. But you know, I do remember in like what is it, 2013, 14, 15, when the World Cup product came out." the panini the prism and i mean people i remember being at trade nights at my local card shop and people were cracking it they were loving it back then so it's not like the soccer uh, hype is new it's happened to be again i think 2020 everything is hyped so i think it's popular because soccer is popular and people are now realizing that there's cards for it but there's an aspect of the other as well so i you know EMC7 hits me up with a tip. Thank you so much. Says thanks for responding to everyone in the chat. Hey, it's what I do, man. It's what I do. But thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, that that that's a, that's very nice. Thank you so much. Sean Rob says with COVID, we've seen a lot of people move out of city center condos and into larger homes. Could that help the hobby grow? 
I mean, they might have more money now because they're not having to pay as much to live city center, but that's a, that's a question that could really take uh, some, some analysis. I have no idea. Uh, nothing comes to mind for me. How about you, Adam? I think we could sit and we could think about that for a while and think about all the different aspects of the, that sort of decision-making and everything that it, it affects. But, you know, we were, when we tried to take something as basic as, well, COVID is going to cause us to not have as much money, which is going to hurt the hobby, right? Like we got that wrong. You and I both did. And most, pretty much everybody did. You know, we didn't foresee what was going to happen. I think if we were to try to estimate, you know, a question like this, all the sort of factors that come into play, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't consider like our our sort of analysis to be very high. Le- like, I don't I don't think the likelihood that we would be right would be would be very good. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not even going to touch it. I just, I just don't know. Uh, without more context, more, more kind of parameters around it. EMC seven Tyson is a Mount Rushmore great buy. I bought one before the fight. Iconic card of him knocking out the opponent's mouthpiece. Nice man. Yeah, he he is a Mount Rushmore guy. That's what I I believe that for me. Uh, talking of highlights, uh, going back probably to two. It was a Chicago National. I I got to uh, I got to help. My brother was actually doing a private signing with Mike Tyson and I got to kind of hang out with Mike in the, in the back room at the national. And basically after Mike would sign a photo, I'd pick the photo up off the table and move it and then put another one down and got to do that with him. That was kind of fun. And it was funny. He had, uh, he had Dwight Gooden's phone number written on a piece of paper sitting on the sitting right beside him. So I take my phone. I snap a picture of Dwight Gooden's phone number, never phoned him or anything, but I do have it. It's kind of funny. I wonder if it's the same number. I'm sure these guys change their numbers regularly. Jordan says, follow up to that. Do either of you have a card from Tamu or John Stockton where the picture on the card was taken during the game you just mentioned? Good question. I don't think I have one of Timu, but Adam, you answer that. I'll be right back. I do have one. I have just one. 1997-98 Upper Deck uh, had a product or had a, an insert set called Game Dated Memorable Moments. And it's kind of like a partial parallel to the set. There are, I think, 40 or 30 cards from the whole set that was paralleled. And they were like 1 in 1,500 packs. And so, you know, if you do the math, this, this, each individual card is like 1 in 45,000 packs. And it's a picture of John Stockton hitting the shot. Um and that's why it's called game dated memorable moments. Cause it's obviously the most memorable moment of his career. So I have this, I'll turn around a second. I, I do believe that, uh, that upper deck has made a card with this picture, but this is, this is what I'm talking about. This is, this is the moment you can see he's, so he's already thrown the glove. He's lifted the stick and I am sitting like I'm, I'm sitting over here. I'm basically, I was fortunate enough to be in the very front row, right up against the glass. He scored. In this moment, I jumped up on top of the boards, leaned over the glass, and was like pumping my fist like this over the glass, going, Timu, Timu, whatever I was saying. I, it was the most exciting moment like of my sports fan life. So I have this picture, which hangs up in the in the extra bedroom down here in our in our basement. But yeah. I do have that. No card yet. But if there is an autographed card or something like that, even non-autographed, I would uh, definitely acquire one. Jay says that Soccer World Cup 2026 in the U.S. and soccer card market is going to explode. Yeah, so there's more potential for that for sure. Chris West, biggest regret of not purchasing a card you saw at a show. 
I've got an easy answer here. This one's not even close. So can, you, you good if I go first, Jeremy? Oh, please. I'm happy you do. So this card that I showed off earlier is of Trey Young. It is the best card of Trey Young out of Optic. It had it's the the gold vinyl, which a lot of people look at like it's, it's basically the same technology as the Superfractor from the Topps Chrome days. It's a one of one. It's just a giant, huge, huge card. So I was at the National um, in 2019, and this is you know so this is before last NBA season began, and um, I was looking at my cards with with a buddy, and he he looked he saw my tray, and he's like, "Did you know the Luca of this is here?" And I was like, "Oh no way, that's awesome! I should go check it out." And he's like, "Yeah, go over." He, he pointed me where to go. Long story short, I go over there and I'm very interested in buying the card. Very, very interested in buying the card. And so I, I, I take a picture of the Luca next to the tray. I pull my card out. I take the picture together. It's this awesome picture. And I ask the guy how much it is. And he gives me a price. And I think, gosh, that's pretty manageable. I think I might be able to pull that off. Or at least maybe if I talk him down a little bit, I could get this card. That Luca card at this point, I don't, I don't throw out prices lightly. And I don't, that card's well into the six figures. It's probably a quarter of a million dollar card. And what was I he asking, what was he asking at the time? I don't, tell you. I don't even want to tell you. It was so bad, Jeremy. It's so, so bad. But then there was this other guy there who was looking, who was, who had like a dollar box with all these like silver prisms from like a later year. And he was like trying to, trying to sort of like finagle, like trying to like strike a deal. And I'm sitting there going like, here I am maybe looking at buying this huge card. You'd rather talk to that guy than me. And I just walked off and I thought, oh, I'll come back maybe, but like, I don't want to take my time with somebody who doesn't want to talk to me. And I got like a little bit arrogant and prideful and whatever else. And I thought maybe I'll go back later. So the next day I'm going home and I met, met I texted one of my buddies who's at the show. I was like, dude, I just need that Luca card. Will you go see? And as you said, Jeremy, when you have something like that, you find it a show, you cannot wait. Uh, my friend went to go buy and see if he could get it for me, and it was gone. Of course, of course, I, like that. I was that close, and again, quarter of a million dollars is not like I'm not just like that's probably about what it's worth right now. Wow, yeah, no Kill. way out. Okay, man, you've got a you've got a bigger bet. For for me, I mean, nothing really pops in my mind. Uh, the same national though, there were a couple of Michael. Jo I was kind of on a basketball buying uh, binge and a couple of Michael Jordans that I didn't buy. I, sh I wish now that I would have, cause you know, for whatever I would have bought for a thousand or 15 bucks is now worth like, you know, eight, nine, 10 grand. So there's a couple of cards like that, that I should have. One was like a, uh, Adam, you might know it was a horizontal, very shiny, like a flare row zero or something. Maybe one yeah. of those. It's probably if it was horizontal, it was the 97 row zero number to 250 on the back. I think so. You know who had it was Indie Card Exchange. Um, God, his name is escaping me right now, but yeah, that card was at least ten times what it was at that point. I will add that there was a card that you acquired at that same show that was a card that I want, and you're smiling because you know what I'm going to mention. It's the Shack PMG, um, our mutual friend who who uh, moved it at the beginning of that show to the person who you acquired it from. As soon as he told me he moved it, I was so frustrated because I thought. Dude, I would have paid you what you moved it for and maybe some more. But what he wanted to turn it into was a LeBron Chrome refractor. And I thought, ah, that's just dumb. You shouldn't do that. Well, it turns out he was really smart because he did move something. I mean, a LeBron Chrome refractor has, has grown incredibly since then. Just Adam, who had the card before the guy I got it from? Um, that was Justin, Char Justin Chargers 21 on Instagram. Okay, okay. 
I'm not familiar. So, okay, cool. Uh, Colin says Tyson won the draw, by the way. Okay, well, that's that's better than him losing, but I look forward to a rematch. Mike Tyson, uh, sorry, Alex, Mike Tyson is a fan fave, is my favorite Portuguese soccer club. He's a fan of your favorite soccer club. Okay, got it, got it. <laughs> Sometimes I, I don't know, it must be late. I'm having trouble reading some of these comments. EMC says, when a card says altered on the PSA uh, plaque, does that mean it's trimmed? It may be trimmed, but it can. there's other forms of alteration, restoration, coloring, uh, removal. There's other ways it could have been trimmed. So, it, it, But it's definitely possible. It, it's probably the most common. Peter says, Jeremy, for sure that picture was used in the Chronology Canvas Auto Set. Oh, yes. that's I, I thought I saw it. Haven't picked one up yet. I, I will eventually. Chris West says, pretty sure there's a card with that picture. Thank you. Rod says, is lack of access to product going to be a factor in people leaving the hobby or even card stores closing? Lack of access to product. That's that's a tough question. I I, I don't know. I mean, it, I know. It, could be, it could absolutely be a factor for hobby shops closing. Um, that's if if the if those stores are unable to get things to um, that they're traditionally able to get. Um, and that's how they make their money. If they're suddenly unable to do that, yes, that could result in, in, in this sort of thing. But as far as people leaving the hobby, um, yeah, probably because some people, their primary part of the hobby has been busting wax for years, you know, and if they suddenly can't do that, um, and if that is, is something that's prolonged. Yeah. I, and this is why to Jeremy's point earlier, you'd like to see all all price points be fulfilled. You'd like to see um, an avenue for every collector to be able to buy packs, whether it's $3 or thousands of dollars. And if, you know, if I was somebody who's running Panini on the basketball side, yes, I would make sure that when a kid walks into the store, that he has a way to buy a pack. Um, that doesn't mean he always needs to be able to get the best pack, but he yeah. should be able to get some pack. Yeah. My comment is a bit different. It, it doesn't contradict. It's just a bit different. Is that, you know, for the card company, for the card stores to survive in the absence of being able to get enough product to satisfy their customers, they need to, I believe, they need to be creative and find other ways, other revenue sources, other products. Just they, they need to be creative. You know, we, we saw when the world turned to the internet, a lot of card shops couldn't couldn't convert. They just they just couldn't keep up. And a lot of these guys are, you know, they're, they're just unhappy in the hobby. And but what a lot of card shops did is they embraced the world of technology. They've embraced YouTube channels. They've embraced Instagram. They've embraced websites. They have found other ways to bring in customers. So if when we talk about lack of product or access to product i think that has to do with this year's product there's always older product that you can get and i'm not saying it's going to sell as well but there's other things that you can sell besides this year's product and, and i know this isn't a perfect answer i don't mean it to be rod but i also rec i also know that margins are very slim on wax yes they're turning over their money they're turning over their inventory but margins on wax is much smaller unless you're you know able to mark it up crazy right away than Singles, you know, singles are, are where there's way better margin. Uh, you know, the standard is you buy it for half what you're going to sell it for if you're a card shop. So I think I think I would challenge card store owners to just be creative, 
find ways to uh, to find other sources of revenue to bring money in because otherwise you're you're going to starve. So you kind of have to, or you've got to close up, and you might have pay early lease termination penalties. Who knows what will come? It, it's not a good situation if you have to close because of this. I don't think it's a problem though. Uh, I know that there's no basketball product up here in Canada, but you know, basketball also isn't the number one sport up here. So I think there's other ways around it. Okay, let's keep going. Thanks to the question, Rod. And I, I know my answer wasn't great there, just for the record. Adam, have you tried to find the Luca Gold vinyl since uh, since to make an offer? Yeah, I know where it exists now, Jordan, and or at least where it did a few few months ago. And um, the the reality of it is, I although I own I own some pretty big cards, the 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 sort of price that exists on that now isn't something that I. That's not the world I live in. You know, most of my big cards that I own, I own because they've appreciated greatly, not because I you know, was out there buying them at the peak price. Uh, those guys who can do that, you know, I tip my cap to them, but that's not me. Com C. Barry wants to let me know that the picture with Timu is from Chronology. Thank you, Com C. Barry. Feel free to uh, throw one in my Com C account. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Simon lets me know. Flair Legacy Showcase. Thank you very much. Jordan says, Jeremy, how big do you expect the upcoming Metal Universe hockey release to be relative to others in the hobby? Jordan, I think it's going to be the biggest product of the decade, and I'm not kidding. In terms of hockey, I think it's going to be the biggest thing we've seen in hockey in a very long time. And I am, like I said earlier, I don't break much. I did tell Mike at Eastridge, I'll take five cases if you can get them for me, and I will probably crack four of them. So, again... This is something that I love, and uh, I think it's going to be huge. And I think a lot, I know just from seeing reactions already, people are really excited for this product, which, you know, a year ago they wouldn't have been. But that's just what people want right now, and uh, I'm, I'm among them. So I think it's going to be a monster. EMC7, do you consider Michael Jordan Nike promo to be a true rookie? I personally do not. I don't even think it's a card. I think it's a postcard. It's not even the right size. So I do not consider it to be a rookie at all. It's... It's it's not even not only is it not desirable for me because I don't think it's a good looking card. I I don't even want one, so that's just me. Adam? Yeah, this is a, it's a really good question actually. It's not something that I want, so I will agree with actually in, in line with Jeremy on that. Um, it does exist prior to his rookie card. And if it exists prior to his rookie card and it didn't come out of a pack. Uh, I would consider it an XRC. That kind of is the definition of an XRC, something that exists prior to an actual rookie card um, that now Jeremy's point about it, maybe not being a card is interesting. That's not something I've thought about before. It kind of loosely fits in that sort of definition though. So I would probably consider it an XRC. I, I wonder um, EMC, do you know what Beckett uh, considers that? I would definitely defer to them. Uh, but if it, but, but I think it does have some of the same classifications as, as XRCs do. I, th I think it does too. When I say it's not a card, I also don't think booklets are cards. To me, they're booklets, you know, they're, which is uh, maybe it's a subset. Again, I haven't thought this through fully, but I just, I like two and a half by three and a half inch cards or what they, what they evolved from. Um, in the old days, tall boys to me are cards because that was all there was in those years. And they were meant to be trading cards that came out with gum. Um, I don't, it's like, it's like saying, it's like to me almost saying, okay, 
Gatorade put out a life-size cutout of Michael Jordan in 1985. It's made of cardboard. It portrays Michael Jordan. It's not the same shape as a traditional card, but either a die cut. So is that an XRC if you can get one? I mean, it's a life-size six-foot-six cutout of MJ. That to me is the same. That That's a card. Or, uh, you know, is that a... It, let me rephrase. Is that a card? Not really. I'm not saying the... I said the Nike thing isn't a card, but to me, it's like it, it wasn't meant to be a trading card at the time. It was a promotional piece that came out on cardboard, just like a life-size cutout came out on cardboard by Gatorade or Wheaties or whoever it may have been. So again, I know I know it's, it's a hot take. I, I know. I, I recognize and I know that it's definitely I'm in the minority on that particular. But, but that's that that is coming from what I like and collecting what I like. And to me not interested at all at all i'd rather have the star cards to me at least they're the right shape <laughs> yeah um okay chris west did agree that in terms of uh, i think this was a with, with respect to the lack of product maybe mm-hmm. i forget sorry chris more and more stock is being allocated to breakers. Yeah, because breakers are legit. And I'm thankful for that because that's getting those cards out there so I can buy them on the secondary market. Ed Seat, how do you feel about companies having exclusive rights to sports? If all companies had the rights, it would create more competition, lower prices. But what it would also create would be fewer companies because they wouldn't be able to afford. They need to make as many products as they do to continue. And it's the hobby is different than it was back in the day. Um, I'm all for competition. I just don't know that maybe two licenses, but you're going to have double the product then because these guys aren't going to, I've heard the argument in hockey, give tops Panini and upper deck a license and leaf and let them each make six products. Well, none of them are going to be able to pay their rent, pay their employees. People are going to lose jobs. It's just not sustainable at that. But if you let them each double the product or each do the full the full uh, run of products sure but now you're gonna have way more selection which is not a bad thing but is the hobby going to be able to uh, absorb it all i don't know more thought needed by me to really answer that but i've thought about it a lot and i don't think that that giving all companies the rights to all sports is the answer i think it needs to be well thought out and planned and uh because the 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 like right think about this adam is is the nba gonna say okay panini you pay us 10 million a year for your license great but now you don't get the exclusive so we're gonna give tops one and upper deck one now you each pay 3.3 million is that what's gonna happen or are they gonna say you're all gonna pay us five or six or seven and now they gotta pump out way more product and we could be heading to the early 90s again i don't know i don't know i don't know either what i will tell you is um you know to reference the magazine um I got to interview, and we talked about this before, but I got to, to interview Nat Turner. Nat is one of the most followed uh, collectors, probably in all of the all the card collecting world, because his collection is not normal, right? It's one of the greatest collections in existence, maybe the greatest. And I asked him. I said, and I just was rapid firing questions at him. And one of the questions that I asked him, and this this. Uh, this interview is you mentioned it earlier it's like eight pages long and it's the you know it's a good portion of issue two of basketball card fanatic magazine i asked him you know what would you do to change the hobby right now like what was the what would be the one change and his his answer was more competition 
Um, he, you know, would like to see, you know, different companies trying, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think he'd like to see different companies trying different things. And I think he would say competition is always a good thing. I think your point is also true, which is just because you have competition doesn't actually necessarily mean that what we receive as collectors is the best thing. Um, but, you know, having said that, I do think that, that in some cases, competition really does provide for, you know, different entities to be trying different things. And, and it pushes them because they know if they can't beat the competitor, then they're going to lose. And so, you know, I think, I think uh, Ed's question is a really good one. I don't know if we'll ever know. I don't think we're going back in time because clearly what Benini's done this last couple of years, especially in basketball, is just I, I want I want there to be the competition, but it's one of those be careful what you ask for sort of things because we just don't know what would result. It's not all of a sudden going to be a way better hobby if the competition, if it opens up. Because, again, these companies, they would definitely have to let go of employees if they can't, if they can't sell as many products. And now, which isn't... Maybe the hobby wants that. I, I don't know. It's. I will. I will never not say that that competition is good. I won't say that. And you know what? It's it, it's almost the same thing where I've thought. You know, if LCSs can't survive because whatever card companies are selling direct to consumer, they can't get enough product. Maybe the days of the LCS is over. Maybe that's the just the way it's going. Blockbuster is no longer in business. People lost jobs. People lost all sorts of things industries end at times and second part components of industries come to a close. It's just what happens. There's no companies making rotary phones anymore. Those guys are out of business or they pivoted and that's what you have. That's what you can do. Um, so anyway, I want to leave it at that on that topic because it, it just, I find my mind going in circles. Colin Murray says the car shop in Hamilton is busy as ever with Pokemon. That's another pivot for all these shops. Get more into the gaming side because it's a game. They can print as much as they want. It's, it's, it is what it is. Simon says, EMC, you are better You are better investing in star Michael Jordan than the promo card. I think I agree with that. Chris West, agree with Jeremy regarding oversized cards, booklets, postcards. Glad we're on the same page. Colin Mur I'm just going to rush through a few here, Adam. Jacques, Jacques Plant has five pre-rookies, but 1955 Parkey is his rookie card. No questions asked. I, I believe in that myself as far as Jacques Plant goes. Get that Gatorade MJ's <laughs> PSA graded for sure. Uh, they need a whole new slab for that. What do you think about stickers? A lot of vintage soccer rookies are stickers, not cards. I think in place of a card, if there's only a sticker, then that is fair game. I don't love them. They don't, they're too thin. They don't, there's not, there's no substantialness to them. I've got one sticker in my collection too. It's the one soccer card I bought. And uh, that's a nice looking sticker. I think they have a place in the hobby. But, uh, you know, that looks pretty nice. And, and you know, stickers are part of the history and the evolution of the hobby. Like, they're, they're not something that just came out. It's not like booklets are pretty much a new thing. Stickers have been out since, well, we learned with, uh, we learned when um, Tracy Hackler explained that Panini started out doing stickers in 1968 or something. The family was doing it to sell newspapers. And then they got a, an exclusive with FIFA and the rest is history. West Oz Cards says the quality and design of Topps products is far superior to Panini. Panini would suffer greatly if they came back into the market. <laughs> I mean, 
Would they suffer or would they step up? And Panini makes some pretty darn nice products to sell for some pretty good dollars, West Oz. And I know you're not the most positive person in the hobby, so take it with a grain of salt. Bless and Break says the problem with product is not a shortage. It's overproduction every week, a new product, sometimes two or three of the same sport releases. This devalues cards as the collector is on to the next product. Yeah, we are a, we are a what have you done for me lately type of hobby a lot of the time. And that's why I like the, it's the question earlier where I forget who asked, but um, what would you rather like what would you rather get into? This year's rookie crop or vintage or more established players by the very next week. Yeah, it's a fast moving hobby. Jeremy and Adam, if you are willing to share, which saved search and eBay do you spend the most time on? Oh man, that's a funny question. I might go through all mine on a very regular basis. So I have a couple that I have that I almost consider, this just sounds like I'm so full of myself, but like that I consider like fairly proprietary where I omit certain things and include certain things to hopefully find the best deals. Um, those are less successful than they were in, in, the, in the last few years because so many other people have gotten good at those things, but there's still plenty of ways to make a lot of money in the hobby. And so I wouldn't mention those. What I would mention is things like, um, I'm a big eminence basketball card collector. I've searched eminence every day for the last five years. Um, right now I search Kobe autos and Kobe gold cards all the time. Cause those are the two things that I care about there. Um, I also, you know, I showed off a lot of Wilt PSA stuff for a long time. I was checking everything Wilt PSA day after day. Awesome. Okay, guys, we're going to, we are going to wrap up here. So, uh, I'm going to run through, there's about five or six comments left. We're going to run through them and then, uh, I'm going to thank Adam. Thank everybody for joining. This was fun. This I wasn't sure we were going to talk about Adam, but this has been really a great show. So uh, in my opinion, at least, uh, Rich says, yes, Jer, I agree. People have to be careful what they wish for. Yes. Tristan competition creates quality. Monopolies are never good. Yeah. I mean, that, that it goes without saying I agree with that, but the hobby is a unique, unique, unique thing. Yeah. Great question by Jordan. Lots of great questions from Jordan type. Bless him. Break says monopolies do suck because they render us helpless. Yet here we are all on YouTube, obeying them and hoping to not accrue strikes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, we can speak with our wallets and I don't, you know, I don't need to, cause I don't, I don't, they don't get my money directly anyway. So I'm, there's no real option for me. I'm just glad that people break products so I can get my, my fair share of singles that, that I want. Jordan says, thanks, Jeremy, Adam. Amazing show. Thank you, Jordan. Paul, great show. Glad to see Adam on again. Can't wait to see him on again. Thank you for that, Paul. Yes, Adam's a great guest. Third, fourth time on, Adam. I've lost track, but you are awesome to have. I love your insights, guys. This has been like the longest episode ever of After Hours. So thank you, everybody, for joining. This was awesome. Your interaction was phenomenal tonight. This was really, I think, an important episode, actually, if we were to look back on it. We covered a lot of really interesting and important topics. So Thank you, everybody. Viewership's been phenomenal, guys. Thanks again so much. Adam, final words. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Roy. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Chris West. Two, that's a row of stars, man. Thanks a lot, buddy. But parting words from you, Adam, and then we're going we're gonna to end this broadcast. Yeah, the only thing I would say is, um, you know, we it's fun when you and I get to talk it, because you've got, you know, the, the guy who knows about all the sports, right? Um, not just hockey, but, but all the sports. And then I'm, I'm basketball card focused. And I think right now in the hobby, you've got two different kinds of content. You have people who focus on everything 
and you have people who focus on specific things. If you are somebody who is just genuinely interested in the basketball card side of things, I produce this magazine that we've referenced a couple of times throughout throughout tonight uh, called Basketball Card Fanatic. I shouldn't say I because it's me and a team um, of really collectors, right? And not not only that, but we also have a designer uh, named Kevin uh, Black Griffin Cards on Instagram. He and I are partners in this, and we're spending a lot of time producing uh, this magazine that is not just a newsletter. It's not just something that takes a few hours to put together. It is over 100 hours, 100 man hours goes into each uh, each issue. Um, tagline uh, at the bottom of the magazine says, um, content for the obsessive basketball card collector. And the idea is that, you know, there's all these different types of content out there that's geared towards making you money. This magazine, yes, Jeremy, good job with the Vanna White. I like it. Thank you. Magazine is there to help you to be a better long-term perspective, happier, smarter collector, and I believe it does that. Um, you know, the the thing that I that, that I'll also tell you is the subscription has been. Like, there have been a lot of people who have subscribed. We're we've sold thirteen hundred issues in the magazine at this point, uh, both both issues that have gone and future issues, and I just want it to grow. I just want people to get it. If you buy it and you do not like it, I will refund you. But if you would like to buy it, Jeremy and I have worked out something so that um, so that he can receive a benefit for being willing to help publicize the magazine. And so um, in, in official accounting terms, I think Jeremy gets a kickback. I think that's, yeah, there you go. Um, and so uh, sometime before the end of November, which is, gosh, it's tomorrow, Jeremy. Tomorrow is the last day of November. Um, uh, I guess that's because today's the 29th because it's now after midnight. But um, sometime before the end of November, you can PayPal me $80. Um, that's to uh, basketballcardfanatic at gmail.com. It's right on. It's, sorry, Adam. Let me just jump in for a quick second. Right on the bottom. I've had it running all day. And I just want to I just want to mention, like, I don't uh, I don't promote things that I don't believe in that I that I wouldn't buy myself. I want to make that clear. Um, and this obviously this episode wasn't about publish or promoting Adam's magazine. We literally waited till the two hour and 17 mark. I kind of forgot to even talk about it, Adam. So I apologize for that. But, um, I just want to say that, you know, uh, it's a great read. I've got, I've got three issues here. Um, there's a question, uh, Simon wants to know, are physical copies available, Adam, or just digital? It is just digital. He emails it to you, but I print it off in color both sides so that I can actually consume it like a magazine. And that's been really enjoyable for me. Um, the writing is amazing. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a good project in the hobby right now. And I, you know, I, I don't want to tell anyone to spend money, but I, I think it's nice to support some of these, uh, you know, some, some of the products that are out there that are, that are taking time and aren't free to produce. So um, anyway, I think it's great. And we, the deal that we worked or Adam said, listen, I'm, I want to, extend the reach of the magazine. You know, I'd like to work with you if you can. I said, man, I'm happy to, I'm already promoting it. I'm already showing it on my, on my shows. So for sure I will. So we came up with this plan because it's usually like he said, sorry, Adam, I'm taking over now. He said, no, usually 10 bucks for an issue for an episode or an issue or a hundred dollars for the year. So we said, well, let's offer it to the sports cars live viewers for 80 bucks for the year or three months a three month trial for 20 bucks us and see if you like it. And then he steps up and says, if you don't like it, I'll refund you your money. I mean, that's pretty awesome. So again, this isn't a, this isn't a sales pitch as much as it is. 
letting you know it's out there. And uh, and if you're interested, you can send him the money. It's coming up right now. Visit paypal.me slash basketball card. And I say mention SCL because he's kicking me back a few bucks, which I will put right into the show, maybe buy some new equipment, whatever it takes. It's knocking that up to a lot of money for, for me or Sports Cards Live. So in any event, if you're interested, sign up for this thing and um, and and receive it. And if you don't like it, like he said, he'll give your money back. But don't be that guy who loves it and then wants her money back. We will, that, That's unacceptable. I will tell you this, Jeremy. Like I've been offering this whole like money back thing since the beginning. Not a single person has asked me for their money back. What I have had several times is I've had people say, I'm not a reader. I just like listening to podcasts. And, and I'm, I love podcasts too. But like people who just are, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to like this. I've had several of those people get it and go, and gotten it in, the, in their email and gone, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, and then they've subscribed for the year. I was on another show a little while ago where one of the co-hosts said, he, he gave me, he said, he said, Adam, I've got a challenge for you. I want you to be the next Beckett. And the other co-host said, I'm going to tell you right now, this is way better than anything Beckett ever did. And I was like, oh, well, that makes me feel great because it's not about a price guide. It's about stories and information about passion within the hobby. It's it's content for the for the obsessive basketball card collector. And if you are somebody who wants to read high level, like highly analytical, very passionate sort of pieces that span the, the sort of like. Um, you know, analytical to passion, like sides of the hobby. It's 25 to 30 pages of like meaty, really substance. And I think you will like it. And again, every single person who's bought it, not, not one person has asked for a, for a refund, but if you do, that's fine. I won't ask any questions. Yeah. All right, man. Sounds good. A couple final comments, Brett C. Thank you very much. Great. Show. I might've done these already. Alex. Great. Thank you guys. Thank you. Chris West reminds everybody to like and subscribe. I appreciate that. Great after hours. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jeff. Our physical copies available. We we did mention that already. Tristan Lee says, well worth it. Likely already a subscriber. Simon wants to know if we are still able to get previous issues. The answer, I believe, is yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And Chris West says, easiest way to get into reading is reading about things you're passionate about. And I'll add, if you, you know, <laughs> where when do we read? I mean, the best place for me is when you're in the office, if you know what I'm talking about. So print it off, stick it in the other off, stick it in the office, leave it there in the little magazine rack that's there and go get, through, let it, let it last the month, savor the, savor the magazine. Don't feel like you got to read it all at once because you, you got to wait a month for the next one. All right, everybody else, everybody, thank you so much, Adam, two seconds. I'm going to, well, we're going to end this and um, that's it. Brian Gray on the regular episode of sports cards live coming up on Wednesday. Check that out. It has been a fun night, very fun night. Thank you so much. Simon says you're speaking my language, Adam. Longtime collector. Awesome, Simon. Don't forget to mention SCL in that in that email, uh, in that in that PayPal payment when you do subscribe. And uh, and I believe the offer is only open until the end of tomorrow. So, and then he's going back to regular prices, just out of fairness to everybody who's bought this thing. So thanks, Adam, for extending the promotional opportunity. To the viewers of Sports Cards Live, I appreciate it. I hope that we get you a few uh, additional subscriptions, and that's great. The old throne room. Thank you, Chris, <laughs> making it clear what I was getting at. All right, guys, this was a really fun night. Thanks, everybody. This show is now over. Thank you, Colin Murray. <laughs>